does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Oh, on this wintry Wednesday, you've definitely come to the right place. Good time to stay inside and listen to the radio. And we have a big show for you today. A lot of hoops to digest. And uh, we're going to start off with the big hitter. Brendan King and uh, producer Jimmy Cook. Uh, I'm Vince Welch. Pacers snapped that seven-game losing streak last night. Big win for the Pacers. And tonight in Orlando for a showdown in the uh, association's top two rookies. IU going for its fourth straight win at Minnesota tonight. Butler facing a huge challenge at Providence. Number one, Purdue in Ann Arbor, where the Boilermakers will take on Michigan tomorrow night. And we go right to the phone line and bring in the coach of the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers, Matt Painter. Hey, coach, how are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, you're there a little bit early. Is this early for you guys to be there since you don't play until tomorrow night? Yeah, we came in last night just to beat the weather. Yeah. So... And so we're just, it's, it's a long, it's a long day when you play at 9 p.m., but it's now you're here. You have another long day, but, you know, at least you're here. You know, now you don't have to go through the tough weather. And we, we bust up yesterday. Mm-hmm. Normally, obviously, we would fly. We tried to move our charter from Wednesday to Tuesday, and they couldn't do it with their schedule. So we just jumped on a bus, and we'll obviously charter back. Um, but, yeah, it just makes sense, and you can, you can get here, get some rest. You know, we'll obviously practice today and practice and have a shoot around tomorrow before our nine o'clock tip tomorrow. As nasty as the weather is, when you remind me as, of a kind of kid that you'd get out in the winter time anyway and, and get shots up, would you? You know, like whether you had to sure. shovel off the driveway yeah. or you cut the fingers out of your gloves or what. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, you'd have the shovel, and then you would have the squeegee because then once it would get, you know, the, 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 you're going to knock it all down, and then it's going to get wet. And so when it's wet, like people that really know what they're doing, you have to have your shovel, but you also got to have that squeegee because you're going to push it to the sides. I had a full court basketball court in my backyard. So you're going to push it to the side. So what you make when you do that stuff is you just make banks on the side. It keeps the ball from rolling away. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you take your (laughs) basketballs and you got three balls and you play with one of them, and then you go put the other two on the, the heat <laughs> in, inside on the vent, and then you just keep those there. And then about every five to ten minutes, right, as it turns into that ice block and you can't dribble anymore, then you go and you rotate the basketballs right there. So it's uh, if you're a real hooper and you're in the Midwest yeah. or you're in cold weather, the East Coast, you know, you you, you got to have the method to your madness so you can play. Yeah, that's that's the system right there. And, it, and you know, parents get mad at you because you're always bringing in the wet shoes and the, you know you're tracking in the the wet. And, yeah, no question, yeah. no question. Yeah, uh, are you happy with? Uh, you're number one in the country, I know, but I, I know how coaches are. Are you happy with the way you guys are playing? Yeah, well, you you don't sit there and do it. You know, you're not. You know, it's not a pizza party for little kids. It's you know, like people want to know if you're happy or sad. Like you move to the next game and you learn, yeah. and, and that's what it is. Like it, it's a real tougher deal today because the people that are great at shutting out others are going to have more success, especially if you have a talented team. you got to learn to shut out other people. You can't have your players getting in Twitter wars with your own fans. Mm. You can't have your players listening to somebody because they had four turnovers like they're a bad player. 
when in reality the guy who's tweeting it or the student who's tweeting it or whatever, like you wouldn't take advice from those people. So why are you going to take criticism from those people? So learn to be mature and be strong in your own convictions and understand like, hey, we're a team. You know, we're going to win together. We're going to lose together. But we're also going to move to that next game and try to be better than we were. We weren't very good in the second half of our last game. We're very fortunate that we were in a good position at halftime or we would have gotten beat. But we have to learn from that so now we can be better because of it. And just because we have a good road record going into this game doesn't mean that – it really means nothing going to this next game. Like stay on a functionality piece – and say, hey, we got to get better at boxing out. In that game, we got to get better at taking care of the basketball. Like we struggled passing and catching, had some shots we probably shouldn't have taken. They got into transition because we had guys not getting back on defense, turning the ball over. So, how do we respond from that and learn from that? That's where your focus has to be. Like, don't let your focus be anything else. Nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes to get on a losing streak. But you are going against really good coaches and really good players in the Big Ten. Like, it's a tough league. So, like, try to keep things in perspective. Well, that needs to be a preventive measure. That doesn't need to be a reactionary measure. So, like, get out ahead of that so when it happens, we've already discussed it. It's like setting your team rules. Like, talk about things that you know are probably going to happen and then ask your players, like, what do you think the consequence of that should happen? And then they, they talk about the consequence. You set the consequence. Then when it happens, especially to the person who spoke up, it's already in play. Like, this is, you know, we are a player-driven program. And, but you're going to collaborate on things and talk about things. Sure, when you have to step in as a head coach, you got to have order. You got to have discipline. But it's not the Army. It's not boot camp. Like, let's have fun with this. Like, let's have a balance of playing hard, getting along, understanding things. Because I don't care who you are, where you are, what you're doing in college basketball, it's a team sport. And if you can't get people to sacrifice, and if you can't get people to check your ego, it's all going to be back and forth, and it's going to be crazy. So you got to get ahead of that, but you also got to recruit the right dudes. And we got the right dudes. We have really good guys, good guys that want to get their degree at Purdue, want to help. It doesn't mean we're perfect. I got a lot of guys on my bench, if not all of them, that want to start and play more minutes. And I want them to think that way, but I also want them to act professionally, which they do. And that's what makes for a good team and a good program. You know, I always think that your rankings are meaningless, really. I mean, I think they're more for fans and, and you know, people in the in the media seats to, to banter about back and forth. But the reality of it is they're there and they're present. And I'd rather be ranked number one than not ranked at all. But I got to believe there's there's pro and con with that from a coaching perspective. Is that right? I mean, what's the con to being ranked number one? Well, I think when you're good and you have success, you get, you know, everybody's best shot. You're not going to sneak up on anybody. And you'd be surprised at the people that play the game that, that don't know a lot about what's going on. But there's enough players out there that do know what's going on. And that's what they want. You know, they want to be able to improve their situation. Well, what's better than beating a team that's highly ranked? So, you know, that that is always going to be there. Um, you should always play well no matter who you're playing, right? But you know, human nature is going to say uh, otherwise. And so I think that's an important piece to try to just build off of things, not necessarily being ranked or, you know, but that's what you want. And, and that's a, that's a nice thing. What you want is a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that, that's what's important. Like you want to give yourself the best chance. You know, we've been in the last six, five or six, I don't, I don't want to mess up a stat here. We've been anywhere from a two to a five seed. 
you know, in the last six NCAA tournaments. So um, I think I'm right there. And so, like, now you, we've been to four out of six Sweet 16s, and everyone say, yeah, you want to get to a Final Four. You want to get back to the Elite Eight. You want to be able to do this. Well, you, you want to get in the NCAA tournament. you got to get in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. first. Then you got to win your first game. Then you got to win your second game. Now you're back there. So you don't automatically just start back to where you've had struggles. And we've had struggles. There. People says, well, you guys have struggled in the NCAA tournament. Well, we've been to four out of six Sweet 16. There's about 98% of college basketball that would love to swap places <laughs> yeah. with us. They'd love that so struggle. Like, when they say that, oh, you guys are just going to struggle again in the NCAA tournament. Well, that's not – you can say, like, we've struggled in the second weekend because we have. Um, and, and that's where we have to get better, but we got to get there first. So it's it's good as a coach to be able to understand steps, but also stay in the moment. Like we've talked about a lot of things. Just just think about Michigan and think about yourself and make sure you have a clear head and go into the next game better because of the experiences you had in your last game. Hey, Coach Painter, it's Brendan. Talking about Michigan and the matchup coming up tomorrow at 9. I think everybody's looking at the matchup down low. Zach Eady against Hunter Dickinson. Eady's preparation for this one. What goes into it when you're getting ready for a guy like Dickinson? Well, first of all, you you know, you get in the back and the four. You know, Zach is, uh, you know, from, from getting fouled and being held and grabbed and all that stuff. A lot of times when you deal with that, you deal with people that are gardening that don't have the same value that he does in the game. So if you drafted things, you'd say, okay, we just played a couple teams and, and they had a, they had a big dude that really played well, Julian Reese. And, and so, but if you drafted it out, you'd take Zach first, you'd take him and then not who you take after that. Now, when they go to their backup, it's a big drop off. Now he comes into the game and now the tactics start. Like you have to have good officials that are going to jump on those tactics. And they did about halfway and they missed about the other half of them. And it can go both ways too. So like he got frustrated and he fouled a couple times, but he was getting hammered at the other end so much. They just left it alone. When he fouled twice, you're like, Hey man, like you got to call it on him too. So, but other people ploy for that because they have guys that can't handle him. Well, when you play Michigan, Hunter Dickinson can handle him. So Terrace Reed physically can handle him. Now, Hunter wants to stay in the game. Zach wants to stay in the game. Sometimes there's guys out there guarding Hunter Dickinson and Zach Eady when they play other people that don't necessarily need to stay in the game. They're just trying to accumulate fouls, and if the refs aren't going to call it, they're just going to keep fouling it, and then they're just going to muck it up. Well, this is going to be different because Michigan needs Hunter Dickinson in the game and Purdue needs Zach Eady in the game. So neither one of those guys are going to be going to those type of tactics and it's going to be regular basketball. But we got the utmost respect for Michigan. They have gotten the best of us here in the last five, six meetings that we've had, uh, maybe even more than that. They have, they have gotten the best of us. We got a win last year, but it's been few and far between. Hunter Dickinson's a fabulous player. Jed Howard has a fabulous future in front of him, just a, an elite shot maker. Bufkin's a really good player. McDaniel's done a really good job as a true freshman. It's hard to be a true freshman and run a Big Ten team, and he's really doing a job. Learning on the fly, but doing a really, really good job. And then they have some really good pieces that come in. You know, uh, Terrence Williams is a good player, can do a lot of different things. Joey Baker, you know, the, the beat goes on. I'm probably missing a couple cats, but um, Michigan's a good team. They've had some struggles here and there, but they also lost Jalen Llewellyn. You know, they, they, you know, you have some setbacks with younger teams and you're trying to find yourself. They had a couple close games that they should have gotten that, you know, you feel terrible about because we've been fortunate to get some breaks in some of those games. 
and, uh, and get some of those wins. But you've been on that end as, an, as a coach. So um, we know this is going to be a really difficult game. You know, you, you made an interesting point. You're talking about uh, Dickinson and, and Edie and the foul situation. You know, depending on which side of the debate, if you're wearing gold and black, you're saying, man, Edie's getting, you know, the hell beat out of him. Game right. in, game out. If, if you're, you know, rooting for the other team, you say, how could a guy 7'4", 305 pounds, only have 29 fouls in, in 19 games? I But right. what I notice about him, he never really really seems and when you're seven four it it helps you recover maybe a little easier but he seems to be in the right position and his footwork is amazing in my opinion for a guy that size yeah he's got good footwork and um he's really worked hard um in terms of his passing uh, especially when people get him out a little bit where he's not quite as comfortable so the other parts you just got to be able to work through them the one thing that I, I talk about with all that stuff with the back and forth is you make a lot of mistakes as a coach when you watch a game about what you think is happening and what you think isn't happening. Obviously, you're biased towards your team, so you're going to argue calls. A lot of when I argue, I argue for what I've watched on film that the other team has done. He's so different and unique that people will try different things against him, and then when they happen, um, you go back and watch. So, you know, what a coach always tells the players is that the eye in the sky never lies. So that film doesn't lie. Well, that film doesn't lie for a coach, too. So as a coach, you've got to be honest with yourself about watching things and being able to make adjustments and do stuff what you think is right, wrong, or indifferent. But when it comes to calls, well, the eye in the sky is the same for officials. So when they, when they go and they officiate Hunter, they officiate Zach, and they make mistakes, they've got to go watch that and fix it for the next time when they ref them. And so like that is such an important piece. So when people go on these Jerry Maguire mission statements about Zach Eady about it, I go back and watch the tape. I don't listen to them, but it's nonsense. It's like, you know, it's like a politician. It's, it's nonsense because let's talk about, don't talk about things in theory, talk about each individual call and say, okay, you're grabbing his Jersey. You're sticking your knee up his keister, which is totally illegal. You know, you're bridging him when he goes to move. Like, all things that they flat out say, hey, these are fouls, these are illegal, you're chucking him. The last game we had two hook and holds, neither one of them gets called. We had a play that wasn't Zach Eady involved. Our guy just gets blatantly elbowed in the in the nose, and nothing gets called. We had three different things that would have been at least flagrant ones, and that would have been six points that we don't get anything out of. And then, like, they got to watch those things and be able to see it. The game before that, there was a hook and hold. Well, we've had a hook and hold where we lost our best big guy for the season in um, Isaac Haas in the NCAA tournament. And it really hurt us. We were able to win the next game, but then the, the game after that in the Sweet 16, we didn't have him, and we needed him against Texas Tech. And that cost us. So now when I start to see these tactics and these people doing it and the politicians going and speaking and saying all this stuff in theory, they've lost their mind. They have lost their mind because that eye in the sky doesn't lie. That tape doesn't lie when they're doing the hook and the holds and they're grabbing jerseys and they're sticking the knee up there and they're putting two hands in the back. You know, he's getting penalized because he's seven four two ninety. Yeah. You, and you and I have talked before about how hard he works. But what, what's amazing, and a lot of people may not realize, he didn't even start playing basketball till about, what, summer before his junior year of high school. Get this. He played hockey and baseball. Now, did you see? Have you ever seen video of him playing hockey or no, baseball? I've seen I've seen baseball. I've seen him pitch in baseball. Man, I I, I mean, now he wasn't seven four then, but still pretty impressive. Yes, he was. Was he yes, seven he was. four? 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty sure he was, yes. That's incredible. That's incredible. Curveball, fastball, what was he going with? What was his know. pitch? <laughs> I was look I was looking to see how he bent. He was bending with his body. Um how about the freshmen? I mean, what kind of coach has two freshmen starting guards? I mean, you you have figured these guys out. I mean, Lawyer and uh, Braden Smith have just been uh, phenomenal for you. But what a rarity to have two freshmen starting in the backcourt, especially at this level. Yeah, good players. I mean, both very competitive, high basketball IQs, uh, play to win. You know, they, they bring a lot of value to their team. Uh, and just a, a lot of the little things that they do, you know, learning on the fly. You know, you learn from game to game. You have, you know, good moments, bad moments, and you, you know, they put themselves in a position where they can play through their mistakes, and that's that's what any basketball player wants. And when you're not in that position as a player, you know, it's it's hard. It's it's harder to to be productive when you're that. But those guys have come in and, and from day one really done some good things. And they're a big part of what we do. We hear in the NBA about the the rookies hitting the wall, you know, at some point during the season. Do, do you see that from your? How do you how do you help your freshmen um, transition to this level of play yeah. and, and not have that wall, uh, quote unquote? Yeah, you you see it. I mean, you you see it from from all of your guys. You know, you you gotta get your massages. You know. Make sure you get your ice baths. Make sure you eat right. Get your sleep. Like, don't overdo it. If you're you're constantly trying to do everything, you know you're going to wear yourself out mentally and physically. Like, you know, just get locked into school starting and doing what you're supposed to academically and eat right and you know sleep right and take care of yourself more than anything and just keep working and keep learning from your previous game. Coach Matt Painter with us on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Coach Painter, you alluded to it at the top of this interview, the 9 p.m. tip in Ann Arbor. I know those are few and far between, but when you get those, is there any part of the preparation that changes when playing so late? No, not at all. You just you, you, you do the same thing. You, know, you eat four hours before. You do your stuff. It just depends on when you get your shoot around. You just got more time for your players to sleep during the day. That's the only thing that's different. So it's like you don't like it at the end because you got to travel and you get home at two thirty three in the morning because now you got to move on and then we play a noon game on Sunday. So like you would like it at seven just to give yourself a chance. But last time we played an early game, you know, on Martin Luther King Day at Michigan State, we played at seven o'clock at home and then had to go to Michigan State. Well, they played at nine o'clock at Illinois and then had to come back home, and so they were in that position the same that we were in that position. So it, it sometimes the schedule can help you a little bit. Sometimes it can be up against it. I don't look at those things. I look at those things in terms of an intensity and a practice and the volume of a practice. Like, you know, you want to, you want to taper to from one game to the next game to give yourself the best chance physically to play, but you also want to have to be on mental edge. So everybody always looks at it from a physical standpoint and they're right to a degree. You got to make sure guys are on edge and they're ready to compete and they're ready to play. So you got to have a pulse on your team. And uh, more importantly, it's like, don't think about the next game until you get to the next game. Like think about, okay, now you deal with Michigan. Don't worry about anything. But right as the game's over now, okay, what are we going to do the next day? What are we going to do the following day leading up to that noon game on Sunday at, at, at uh, Mackey arena? Now you can kind of taper into lighter practices, but a higher intensities, or maybe just a shoot around at that time. If you feel like your guys are, you know, ready to roll. 
Yeah, uh, you got the Michigan game uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Michigan's coming off a four-point win against Minnesota, five and three in the league. Uh, and then Michigan State on Sunday. The Boilers, uh, Coach Matt Painter with us, uh, winners of six in a row. Uh, as as a player, when you were a player, could you have gotten any minutes on this team? Um, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd have backed up. <laughs> well, you'd get in a little bit of run, or you'd have been a regular off the bench. No, no, no. I'd, I'd have been a backup. Yeah, I'd have been a backup. Yeah, yeah. I'm not better than the guys. Ethan Morton's a bill. He's a better defensive player than I am, and that's what gets him. Uh, that's what separates him. He's done a great job here. Last two games, he's held the two guys he's guarded for six for twenty five. He's done a fabulous job for his defensive. I wasn't as good as a defensive player that he is. But I didn't turn the basketball over, and, and, and I could make an open shot. So they would have to guard me, and I would throw it to Zach Eady every time. So I <laughs> you were smart, weren't you? You do to get yeah, the I ball. got it to Glenn Robinson and Conzo Martin and Jimmy Oliver and Steve Scheffler. And like, yeah, get it in the game and get it to the best player. It's a hell of a concept. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned Ethan Martin. I mean, here's a kid that was Mr. Basketball in the state of Pennsylvania, I think, wasn't he? And and here he is, you know, in a college as a college player, he's averaging I think four points and about three rebounds a game, and I, I think that's always one of the real uh, feathers in the cap of of coaches and and not blowing smoke up your skirt because there's other coaches that do it too, but it's a real talent of a coach to get a kid, and maybe this is more indicative of the kind of kid he is, who was a superstar in high school, and yet he'll come and do it for the good of the team in college. And mm-hmm. sacrifice all the numbers. Yeah, I mean he's, you know, he's a good player. He can do a lot of different things. He can rebound. He can pass. He can. Last year he shot the ball well. And this year he hasn't. You know, but it's still there. Like it's not. It didn't it didn't go away. So like his ability to make an open shot is right there. He just needs to keep taking his good ones um, with it. But now he's a winner. Like it's his team's nineteen and one. Yeah. Would anybody ever like frame something like that to say? I started on the number one team in the country, and we're 19 and one. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else to say. If like, you know, so he's bringing value to the team. He just brings value in other areas. Yeah, well, you've done a great job with him. That's for sure. But fun team to watch um, as somebody as Thank an you. observer. Um, uh, you do it the right way, and they're playing well. And I know the Big Ten, man. It's uh, it, there are no easy nights, and uh, you're not going to have an easy one tomorrow night. I'm I'm pretty confident of that, but I'm also confident you'll be ready to uh, to handle what Michigan throws at you. Wish you the best. All right, thanks for having me on. Yep, thanks for taking thanks, the coach. time, Coach. That's Matt Painter, head coach of the uh, Purdue Boilermakers, ranked number one in the country, nineteen and one, eight and one in the Big Ten, and you know it's. It's interesting to me. I mean, you look around the country, and and I know we don't have the guys stay in the four and five years, you know, as much as as we did back in the you know in the day, so to speak, with the one and done and so forth. And maybe seeing a little bit more of that now with guys in the transfer portal and so forth. But to start two freshmen, true freshmen, in the Big Ten, and to be ranked number one in the country, I mean it. It uh, not just from the coaching perspective what those guys that staff has done with those two, but it speaks so much to the kind of players that uh, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer are. And uh, man, those guys they don't play like freshmen. Impressive. No, and it's a unique situation, Vince, because there's seemingly no ego to those guys, yeah. where there very easily could be, because they are key cogs on the number one team in the land as 18 19 year olds 
And, you know, Fletcher Lawyer, he obviously comes from a basketball family. His brother Foster, I realized things didn't work out at Michigan State, but now he's a better player at Davidson. He, Foster Lawyer was a hell of an AAU mm-hmm. player. Did a couple of his AAU games. I mean, he was. So th- there were avenues for kids like that, like Fletcher, a brother of Foster, coming up to be cocky. Mm. But seemingly he's not. Yeah. And. and I think what Coach Painter talks about and the brand that he has built in West Lafayette of very little ego and just all preparation and work. I somehow some we talked about this yesterday. Somehow, some way he gets fifteen, sixteen, seventeen guys to buy into one cause. And when you do that as a coach, you're gonna make a lot of cash. You're gonna win a lot of games. He's certainly done that and uh and I thought it was interesting, you know, as he talked about you know, going to the NCAA tournament and and uh, not getting that final four. You know, people that hold that over their heads. And hey, let's be honest. I mean, that, that's what you're paid to do, right? But uh, also, what others consider to be his failures, uh, as he said, ninety eight percent of the other programs in the country would like to fail at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, but the work never stops. And whether you're a player or a coach, uh, the expectations never seem to lower and and but at, that's a at the same time that's a compliment to where you are when the expectations are that high so uh it's going to be interesting you know they, it's a tough couple of games at Michigan on the road and that late start uh, tonight and then coming back to take on uh, Tom Izzo's uh, Spartans of Michigan State at Mackey on Sunday man that's going to be a great environment it's going to be a hell of an environment but you mentioned this yesterday Vince that of course when you're the number one team in the land, not only are you going to get everybody's best shot, there is no need for extra motivation on the other sideline. They know exactly what they're playing for. They're getting possibly a quad one, elite one win, and you know they have an opportunity to knock off the number one team in the country. Where you know Purdue, the first couple times that they've had this honor, you know it was relatively quick before they lost it. So. We'll see third time's a charm, and they can hang on to it for a little while. Well, then, uh, what, UConn went to number one, and then I think they lost four the next five. Exactly. So it's a curse. (laughs) It's become a curse. Well, that's what we talked about. You know, I mean, there's there's pro and con to be a number one, and and he talked about it. You know, you don't want to be listening to the noise, and there's plenty of noise out there, especially nowadays with social media, and you can't keep the kids off social media. So, I mean, they're going to hear at least some element of it some degree of how great you are blah 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 um and so there's there's always that that i think they've got to the coaching staffs have to fight but at the same time it's pretty nice when you are recruiting a kid and you're the number one team in the country and um you know there's pro and con with that you got to just make sure that that uh those that you have currently aren't listening to too much of it and, and getting too fat over it the basketball sells itself when it, when it comes to that. You bring a kid in Mackey Arena and you're the number one team. You said, hey, wait six, seven hours from now and wait till this place is packed from wall to wall and you can see exactly what being number one means to this local community. So good for him. I mean, Coach Painter, I feel like he's always done it the right way. And you talk about zero ego. You don't sense any ego in that voice, that's for sure. Yeah. That's uh, tomorrow night, Purdue and Michigan in Ann Arbor. It's a 9 o'clock start, as you said, so some of us need to get a nap before that I was going to say, we both have done games, like, doing 9 o'clock games. I mean, you're twiddling your thumbs by 6 p.m. You're like, let's go, man. Like, 
Well, and it was interesting how he said, you know, we eat four hours before. I mean, the schedule remains the same, but yeah. it starts later in the day. Mm-hmm. And those are times where if it's a noon game, which I think the Michigan State the next game one on is, Sunday. Yeah. So uh, imagine a, having a back to back. It's not the case, but imagine having a nine twelve back to back in a matter of 48 hours. Yeah. That would be crazy. And and I know some coaches are real. And I, I don't know how Matt feels about this, but some coaches are real sticklers about, you know, they want the same meal before every game and so do you have the same meal before a 9 p.m game that you have before a 12 noon game because it's different times that i'm wanting breakfast for the noon game if i'm eating at 8 a.m but um yeah good stuff and that's going to be a that's going to be a challenging turnaround for them just i think because they're as much as not just the hour of the day in which they play but just they're playing two really good teams Juwan Howard going to have the Wolverines uh, ready to go against Purdue tomorrow night and then anytime you got Tom Izzo coming to town you know that Michigan State is going to be ready as well uh, that's Thursday night but two big ones on the college slate uh, tonight for the locals you've got Indiana at Minnesota and Butler at Providence and IU winners of three in a row. Minnesota has lost three in a row. Uh, it looks like a game that Indiana ought to go in and uh, take care of business. Indiana's won five straight against Minnesota, 10 of the last 12. I, this is a real stretch for Indiana because they've won three in a row, and their next three games, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Maryland, three of the four worst records in the conference. So the Hoosiers have a real opportunity to uh, get it rolling here in a significant way, and they got to make sure they don't go up to uh, Minnesota and stub their toe tonight. That's the wild factor, Vince, of the Big Ten, that statistically what you just said is correct, but you look at who's waiting on the other sideline when you meet up, especially with Ohio State and Maryland. Imagine having a quote-unquote easier conference game and waiting for you is Chris Holtman and Kevin Willard. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's murder. That, I mean, that's a... I just couldn't imagine the stress of being a coach in that conference. And, you know, Matt Painter, uh, he's professional as all can be, but he's got these massive ball games coming up against Michigan. You mentioned Michigan State. And then, don't forget, you're getting two separate IU-Purdue matchups in a matter of about 20 days. Yeah. That's really tough. Really tough. Love that rivalry. Oh, it's the best. Indiana Purdue. And and uh, you know, I, I went to Ball State, so I have no real uh dog in the fight either way uh, from a rooting perspective. I just love the intensity of that rivalry. And and there's other right, you know, the Duke North Carolina. I mean, you you go right on down the list. I mean, there's a lot of good rivalries out there in, in all the sports, but but Purdue and Indiana, I don't know that and and I've I've been close, fairly close to the Duke North Carolina rivalry, as well. And those two are uh, they're just they're just mean spirited rivalries. You know, the fans on each side are just mean spirited toward the other, and uh, and it makes it fun. It makes it bitter. It makes you know when one wins and the other loses, it's uh, bragging rights or it, you don't want to hear it. But, uh, yeah, it's, that's going to be uh, interesting coming up with uh, those uh, Indiana and Purdue in a, in, uh, within a three-week period of time, uh, playing a couple of times. Uh, the game tonight uh, for the Hoosiers, um, we mentioned uh, Indiana's won three in a row in the stretch that awaits them. But 
Trace Jackson Davis, I don't know that anybody in the country is playing any better than he has over the course of the last couple of games. Back-to-back 30-point games at 35 at Illinois, 31 against Michigan State. He's the Big Ten Player of the Week. How about these numbers over the last two wins against Illinois and Michigan State for Trace Jackson Davis? 66 points, Hmm. 24 rebounds, 9 assists, and 8 block shots. Efficient. Pretty strong numbers. Pretty strong numbers. I'd still like to see him throw him the ball more. Yeah. You know, give him the ball, you know, and and, and let and Painter talked about this with Zach Eady about how he he passes well out of the post. And um and I think Trace Jackson Davis does that as well, but um he's gotta get it first before he can pass out of it. But if Indiana is going to continue to win games, they got to hit outside shots, and they've done that over the course of the last couple of games. Uh, Tamar Bates had 17 against Michigan State. I think he was 5 of 6 from three-point range. Trey Galloway's gotten a little more aggressive offensively, didn't miss a three-point shot against Michigan State. So uh, if Indiana can continue to shoot it with the accuracy from the perimeter, that's going to make them a lot better. But when they don't make shots, they are a pretty normal and regular team. Well, especially if you're not making shots and you're playing so few guys on the floor, there's not a lot of opportunity to get out of that with folks that are already having cold shooting nights. You know, when you're an Indiana Hoosiers team, and of course, Race Thompson has now come back, but you're still missing Johnson, and um, you know, you're dealing with other injuries. If the seven guys that you're playing are struggling, there's not a lot of opportunity to say, hey, like, can you provide a spark off the bench for a kid that's already cold? So they got off to a hot shooting night in these big ball games coming up. That can prove well because this stretch that they're going to have at the start of February especially could determine what exactly happens in the seating of the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, we'll talk more about IU in Minnesota a little bit later in the show. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk uh, Butler and Providence. Man, what a challenge the Bulldogs have facing them tonight. Uh, Providence uh, beat Butler by 20 in the earlier meeting this season at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Uh, tonight, the Bulldogs on the road to take on Providence. We'll talk about that one. Plus, dig into that Pacers win. How about the Pacers snapping that seven-game losing streak? But no time to rest on those laurels. Going to get right back at it tonight at Orlando. And the top two rows. Rookies in the NBA uh, going at it. uh, Quite a showcase tonight. Looking forward to seeing that. And uh, we'll talk about that and more when we come back. This is 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Great to have you back with us on this uh, wintry Wednesday with Brendan King. I'm Vince Welch and producer Jimmy Cook. Hey, did you see this? Now, Brendan, you're not married. Have you ever been engaged? No. Okay. No. Um, so Jimmy and I are married. I was not left at the altar. Well, or le- you left. Or, <laughs> you know, it's, sometimes it just doesn't work out. You don't ever get to the altar. Like this situation in regard uh, regarding Ben Simmons of the Brooklyn Nets. Did you Ooh, see this? No. So he's engaged. He's given the engagement ring, uh, and um, they end up breaking up. Mm. And he wants it back. $800,000 engagement ring. So he can sell it. 
I, I don't know. I mean, he makes 35 mil a year. So I wouldn't think it would be, you know, he's not pinching pennies here. Is it just on principle he wants the ring back? And I I don't know. I well, seems is like that a, a yay or a nay? I mean, yay, yeah, yeah, you take it back, or no, once you've given it, it's hers. And well, has anybody been out there? Anybody out there that's been in this situation, either male or female, you've given the ring or you've gotten the ring, and then it didn't work out. And what was the decision? Did you ask for it back? Did you voluntarily give it back if you're the girl? How did that? How did that work out? So three one seven two three nine ten seventy. If that has been a situation you have been in. Jimmy, you're married. I mean, would you, if it wouldn't have worked out before you actually had the ceremony, would you have wanted the ring back? Careful words, Jimmy. I would have. <laughs> You'd have wanted it back. Yeah, okay. Because in my instance, it belonged to my late mother. Hmm. So that's, I, I but I. It's I, like an M. Night Shyamalan but I also movie. That know, just took a I turn. also know my wife well enough that, and God forbid that not, I, she wouldn't be the type of person to. Because what do you, like, the only thing you're doing with that. Is you're selling it? What you're not you, keeping yeah, that. What you're what not you a reminder you of a failed relationship. You go to the pawn shop. Like, what it. do you? What, 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 is it inappropriate to give it to the next one you get engaged to? I mean, if you're going out and it, it because it, it all depends on like some women have a, a preference on on cut. Some because we got uh, the ring modified a bit, like not not uh, in a way that hurt the ring itself because it was a very, very nice ring, but like got it refitted and everything, got it cleaned up. But, um, you know, in some cases, I know there's different cuts of diamonds. So that's a variable question if it's appropriate or not, because also if we're being Ben Simmons in this situation, uh, you don't need to re-give that one. You can, if you get it back, you could return that one. And then whenever you get married again, you could pretty easily mm. pick out almost any ring in the world. And you're going to have the capital to go get it. Mm. I don't know. I mean, I it's it's a very awkward, tough spot. Yeah. But again, if I am on the other side of the fence and I'm I'm receiving the ring, I don't know that I'd want that as a reminder. I'm I'm selling that thing. I'm not like I'm not hanging on to that as a heirloom. It's a tough twenty four hours for athletes. It yeah. seems there's that story and the parent. I was just scrolling through Twitter. Dak Prescott. After the Cowboys lost, got dumped by his girlfriend. Oh, oof. Well, if he wouldn't have thrown those two interceptions, oh, then he'd be fine. Indy Judge writes in and says the engagement ring question was one of her first, uh, or one of my first law school classes I read. It's generally considered a conditional gift. So if the wedding is called off, she has to give it back. Mm. Jennifer says no, the secondhand ring is a no go. So if, if if you get it back from her, the next time you get engaged, you can't give it. It's a well. No how would that next person next know? One. How would that next? Know. Unless they're stalking. Unless you, you told her, right. you wouldn't tell her. Hey, this is a hand me down, actually. <laughs> I, I, I'm with Does Jimmy. Does it fit you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just guessing here, but uh, I, you know, I think Jimmy made a good point that you know, uh, ladies are are very, and I don't blame them, very particular about the type of ring they want. My when I was a kid, my parents celebrated their uh, twenty. It was probably twenty, and my dad got my mom a new ring. She didn't like it. The next day, she put me in the cart. We went to the jewelry store and she exchanged it for something else. Mm. That's not a that's not that's a awesome. That, that is that's a true awesome. story. <laughs> She's like, hey, we're gonna run some errands. I, you know, I was I was just about to be a teenager. Like, okay, we go to the jewelry stores. She has the receipt. She's like, I'd like to exchange this. <laughs> Uh, uh, how did uh, 
How'd your dad notice? Never found out. That is awesome. Never <laughs> to this day. Uh, no, he found not. Okay, you All know right. what I'm saying. Never yeah. found out in the window where it would be right. disappointing. Sure, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think <laughs> once I've given the ring, uh, I don't know that I could. I don't know that I want to ask for it back. But that's a lot of money. I mean, the engagement rings are expensive. Yeah, it's expensive. Hence and the it, no engage over if, here. And yeah. if you're if you're <laughs> the girl getting the ring. Do you want to keep it if you're not engaged? I mean, well, what are you doing with it? That's what I just said. Like, why would you? Why exactly? Save it for a rainy there's, day, fellas. There's, there's two things. If we're playing out this scenario of it being a ring from a, an NBA player, it's a lot of money. Maybe you're keeping that as a as a as a, as an heirloom within your family, right? That's option one that I don't think is likely. Option two is it's a fun talking piece, but a very expensive talking piece. Oh, yeah, remember that yeah. one time when Ben Simmons was engaged to me? Option three, you don't want it as a reminder in your house, you're selling the thing. Yeah. And option four, I guess, is give it back. I mean, an $800,000 engagement ring, I mean, that's, you know, Ben wasn't skimping now. No. It's more than a game check, for sure, no. for him. I mean, that's, that's so, I, you know. But if I'm her, I don't want it. You're not wearing it out in public. So... <laughs> Maybe I would just give it back if I were her, but is it inappropriate for her to go cash, get cash? Yeah, I don't know if you can like press or... a charge on that if you, because that would, would yeah, that be what the gentleman property? in the in the I'm not sure who you said had it in the YouTube chat, but if that's accurate that there's legal precedent for him, then yeah, you can't sell it. You'd have to. Is that something you decide on in advance? Is that inappropriate to say, I'm going to give you this ring. Will you marry me? Here's my, here's the engagement ring. But no. if it doesn't work out, no, no, no. Uh, no, you no, need no, no, to no. give it. Wait, wasn't, not. wasn't Ben Simmons dating <laughs> Kendall Jenner? Was this her? That's no, because, no, this was uh different because different they were going out at one point, him and Kendall. Yeah. Jenner. So yeah. if this ends up, if this ends up going back to Car- to the Kardashians, that should be no surprise to anybody. Mm. Jennifer says, the curse. That the, uh, Jennifer says that the, the the uh, woman should make a pendant out of it. There you go. Not I guess she could reuse it. That's a good option, Jennifer. I didn't yeah. think about that. I guess she could. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, well, I hope you're never in that situation. And I, yeah, oh, just, well, you guys are looking at me. I, 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 you you just room. looked at me, and you just looked at me. I was like, I, I think I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, tough spot, but uh, Ben said, you know, better to find out now. I think before you actually get married so. and then realize, oh, it didn't work out. But uh, as we said, Ben Simmons makes thirty-five mil a year. So if you know he could take the hit, I think. <laughs> Wish Ben the best, and uh, we'll dive into this uh, Pacers challenge tonight. Uh, speaking of uh, terrific players, but uh, how about uh, Paulo Boncaro and Ben Matherin, the top two rookies in the NBA, squaring off tonight? And you'll hear that game right here on. 107.5 and 93.5 The Fan with uh, Mark Boyle and company. And we'll discuss it when we return. Coming up toward the uh, top of the hour here, uh, Vince Welch along with uh, Brendan King, producer Jimmy Cook, uh, Jasper, Indiana, Scott Rowland, uh, named to the Baseball Writers Association, the only player that the Baseball Writers Association of America uh, deemed worthy of Baseball Hall of Fame induction. He made it by five votes. Vince, that's awesome. And myself as a baseball fan, that was right in the window of when I was truly falling in love with the game, when Scott Rowland was in his prime. And I realized his days with the Reds came a little Mm. bit later, and then he had that quick run with the Blue Jays, which is a little bit weird. But, you know, when he was on the Cardinals and – 
when he was on the Phillies, I was a little bit before my window of being a f- baseball fan, but he was my favorite player on my most hated team. I hated the Cardinals, <laughs> but I loved Scott Rowan yeah. because I was a third baseman growing up, and it, that just shows, Vince, to me, that being a Hall of Famer, the glam is the bat. That's what people are going to be talking about on social media, but there were not many better gloves, especially at the hot corner, ever in baseball than Scott Rowan, and that's a big reason why he should be in here because – the five tools of the game, it's not just hitting that gets you in the Hall of Fame. It's the rest of it, too, and he was one of the smartest players ever. Yeah, Jasper, Indiana, uh, Jasper High School, and then um, uh, post-career, post-playing career, uh, and I don't know if he still does, works with the baseball program at IU. I think he's the director of player development. Yeah, so uh, won the World Series with the Cardinals in 06, uh, played for the Reds 2009 through 2012. Reds won the division title a couple of those years, 10 and 12. Mm-hmm. And Roland, clubs. Yeah, Roland... Eight-time Gold Glove winner, and I think his la- the last Gold Glove he won was in Cincinnati with mm-hmm. the Reds. Mm-hmm. So had a, had a few good years. I think a lot of a lot of people thought maybe he had just gone there to kind of go out to pasture, but he had a yeah. few good years in Cincinnati. I, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's going to go down by in a lot of people's books as sort of a fringe Hall of Famer. But again, it's a perfect example of. Your bat's not just going to get you in. There are deserved guys that have done things in baseball that others have not, that are just not as glamorous. And, yeah. and that's Scott Rowan, and he, he deserves it. Eight-time gold glove, seven-time All-Star, 17-year career. Congratulations to Scott Rowland in the Baseball Hall of Fame. 103.5, uh, 107.5, and uh, 93.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, great to have you with us today on this uh, Wednesday morning. And boy, the weather's been dicey, but it looks like it's kind of peeling back a bit, at least downtown Indianapolis. We don't see the heavy snow any longer, so hopefully it's manageable where you are. Brendan King, I'm Vince Welch, Jimmy Cook, our producer, with us as well. And we bring in James Rapine, who's going to tell us a little bit about uh, Brian Callahan, the Bengals' offensive coordinator, who the Colts are interested in. Uh, James from SI.com, all Bengals, locked on Bengals. And, of course, it's a big week for the Bengals as a franchise because uh, they're in the mix for the AFC Championship as well. you got a lot going on, James. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a fun time of year. I, I wasn't professionally used to uh, covering games uh, this late until last year, so I'll take it. No complaints here. How much interest has there been uh, in regards to conversation with you about uh, Brian Callahan and his future? Oh, I think a lot of fans here, uh, in, in, I'll just speak for me, actually. Uh, I'm surprised that both Brian Callahan and Luana Ravel, the Bengals offensive and defensive coordinators, haven't gotten more looks. Now, getting hired, it's different. You don't know. So I'm not going to say, oh, well, they should definitely get a job this cycle. I don't know that because I'm not in the interview rooms, but I think both guys have done a heck of a job. And specifically with Brian Callahan, if I were a franchise that was going to have a young quarterback, I would want Callahan around that guy. And it's not just what he's done with Joe Burrow, but he's been around 
veterans like Peyton Manning. He was around Matt Stafford when he was younger. He he's uh, you know came up through the NFL with his his father Bill and, and was around those Raiders teams in the early 2000s and Rich Gannon. Like he's seen it all. And yeah, he would be you know he's still sort of young in the NFL world, but I think he would do a good job. So I I, uh, I am surprised that the Colts are the only team as of now at least that I've seen talk to Brian Callahan during this this head coaching cycle. Hey James, it's Brendan. We had Dan Duggan on yesterday who covers the Giants for the Athletic because the Colts are also reportedly interested in Mike Kafka, their offensive coordinator. So I'll ask you the same question that I asked Dan yesterday about Callahan in, in that when the Colts had Frank Reich as their head coach, Marcus Brady was the offensive coordinator, and Marcus Brady really was only a glorified quarterbacks coach because Frank Reich ran everything offensively. So what is Callahan's role in game-planning this offensive unit with a guy like Zach Taylor, an offensive guy above him? He does the majority of the game-planning. And, you know, Zach still has, you know, play-calling, like you said, but from a day-to-day standpoint, Brian Callahan is essentially an extension of Zach Taylor. And they don't always agree, of course, but they agree more than not. And they're able to iron things out as, you know, as the week goes on. And I just mean from a game planning perspective, of course. But no, he does he does a lot of the behind the scenes work and you know, he, he hasn't called games. He's done a couple of preseason games because Zach Taylor does want to get him reps. Uh, so that that part would be is something that you'd have to ask Callahan during an interview. All right, would you want to call plays? Would you bring in an O C that would call them? What would the plan be there? But Ultimately, I think he's seen how it can work between a head coach, an offensive coordinator, the head coach calling plays, and, and a young quarterback. And, and it's certainly they, they've had plenty of success over the past two seasons. So uh, has experience there. But, yeah, that's certainly a, a question mark. But I, I think he would be just fine. And would there be some lumps if he does call plays? Of course, because he's never done it before. But I think he'd be, be ready to go for sure. You mentioned Young. He's 38. And... Um... He's not been an NFL head coach before, and and we all know that uh, there's a lot that comes along with that responsibility, and it's not just on Sunday. Uh, give us a little bit of background on on Callahan's personality. Uh, you know how he carries himself. What's what's the guy like? Players love him, and offensive players love him. Defensive players love him. Has a really good personality. Family man works really hard. But I think the thing that I I come back to when I think about that. You know, just how he fits, all of those things, even though he's 38. And, again, I I know it's been a lot of young head coaches have gotten jobs in recent years, but that's still young by head coaching standards. But he's going to be able to to relate to these guys because he's been around it his whole life. And I think that's the part of it where he really, in my eyes, has an edge over a lot of these other young offensive minds is he was in locker rooms when he was 10 and 12 and coming up and playing still and playing quarterback. In, in the college at the college level, and uh, so he's been around it with his dad, and, and now he's he's shown that he can be a really good offensive coordinator. Naturally, the next step is head coach. It might not be this year, but I, I think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of when, not if. James, the steps that Joe Burrow has taken now to becoming elite, uh, are, yeah. does he attribute any Joe Burrow? That is, does he attribute any of those big steps and momentous? things taken in his early career to a guy like Callahan? Have you heard him say that? I think it's really the trio. Zach Taylor, uh, the the Bengals head coach, obviously, offensive coordinator Brian Callahan, and then also quarterbacks coach Dan Pitcher. He loves all three guys. And, you know, whether it's calling Zach the best head coach in the league or if you ask 
how valuable Callahan is or pitcher is. He likes all three guys. So uh, deep down, selfishly, he's probably hoping that no one comes and gets Callahan. No one comes and gets them for another season. At the same time, just me looking in, you know, thousand foot view, Joe Burrow's the type of guy. He could have went to a lot of situations and had success. And not every young quarterback is that way. A lot of it's based on circumstances. And, you know, the Bengals have done a good job to surround him with talent and the right coaching staff. At the same time, I think Burrow develops and plays at a high level regardless of where he would have landed in the draft. Maybe not this good this soon. But I, I think he would have. But, yeah, they deserve credit, and he credits them for sure. Talent aside, what's from someone who is obviously watching them uh, week in, week out, you're dissecting the Bengals a lot deeper than uh, certainly uh, Brendan and I are because we're looking at the Colts the same way you're looking at, at the Bengals. But uh, give yeah. us give us a, uh, some insight into what makes that attack schematically so successful for Cincinnati. Well, I think they've they've really found a way to to morph week to week. And when Jamar Chase went down earlier this year, that's when they really had to to lean on scheme and lean on you know finding an identity on offense. And it isn't just one thing. I mean, they, they've won with Trent Irwin having a touchdown pass, you know, two touchdown receptions. Excuse me, having T. Higgins be the number one receiver, Joe Mixon leading the the team with five touchdowns. They've won a, bu- a bunch of different ways. They've, they've won with Samaj P. Ryan being the main back and having 100-plus yards from scrimmage. So I think the thing that we've seen this year is the evolution of this offense. And instead of just a, a go-ball offense where they say, all right, Jamar, outrun whoever's guarding you, outrun the defense, they've had to evolve, and they've won in a bunch of different ways. And so the entire coaching staff, Joe Burrow, a lot of guys deserve credit for that. James Rapine from SI.com's Locked On Bengals is with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com. James, Mike Greenberg's show airs nationally before we go on the air, and I was listening to Greenberg on my way into the studio, and he, he sort of apologized for the show sleeping on the Bengals prior to the year. And then a couple of Greenberg's guys were like, uh, a, a lot of people just didn't believe that the Bengals could be in a position that they were similar to last year. So I guess my question with that is, why don't you think the Bengals were picked more in the AFC heading into this campaign? Is it just more so a prove-it type deal with a coach that maybe folks thought it was a fluke last year and they just needed to see it again? I think that's a big part of it. And, and honestly, the Bengals were such a flawed team last year. I mean, the offensive line was, was it the worst in Super Bowl history? It might have been. And, and when you see that, even though they addressed it in free agency, it's, it's real easy to see, all right, well, Jamar Chase isn't going to have a record-breaking season again. He didn't, and part of that has to do with, with injury more than anything. But he didn't, and, and this offense had to find itself a little bit more. But uh, once you got through – they, the initial four or five games where they were trying to figure things out, they started to. But I get it. Anytime you make a run and then the flaw that everyone was talking about during that run comes back to bite you and is the reason why you didn't win it all, I, I think that that was as big of a reason as any. And then the other part is the right, the, the, the questioning of Zach Taylor. 6-25-1 and one in two seasons. Yeah, they won 10-7. and seven. Yeah, they got hot. But how good of a head coach was he? I think he's answered those questions now. 
but I understood why there were still some questions remaining coming into this year. Tough to go on the road and beat Kansas City. Obviously, the Chiefs, uh, you know, need no description in regards to their abilities and and how good they are, especially with uh, Mahomes. Uh, not a hundred percent sure yet what kind of uh, health status he's going to be dealing with. But um, how do you see that shaking out? Um, uh, this weekend with Cincinnati going to Kansas City. What's what's the vibe there in Cincinnati in regards to do the Bengals feel like an underdog? Do they feel like they're the favorite, uh, whether it's in the locker room or, or just in the community? How, how are, are folks there in Cincinnati viewing this game against Kansas City? People are fired up, and a big part of it has to do with, obviously, the Bengals are 3-0 and over the past two years against the Chiefs, and, and really – just over a calendar year um, that they've, they've won three straight games against Mahomes. But then the other part is just how dominant they were against Buffalo. I'm not sure anyone saw that happening. And so when you combine those two, I think fans are really confident. As far as the team goes, you know, being an underdog, I know they're not as of now, but I asked Burrow last week, uh, you know, does he feel like an underdog going into that game? Because the line continued to move, and I was like, all right, let's, let's ask him. And, and he said the quote that was probably heard everywhere. He said, I never feel like an underdog. And so he's not going to feel that way this week. This team is not going to feel that way regardless of the betting line. But refocusing after a win like that, it is an interesting challenge, dilemma, something this team hasn't had to deal with during their five playoff wins over the past two seasons because they've all been tight games. And so go on the road and dominate the way they did. I don't really have any questions about them resetting. You know, I I think inside the locker room they'll be able to. But I think it's real easy to say, oh, well, they could go beat the Chiefs a fourth time. It's a really, really tough place to play. It's still Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid. It's going to be hard. And, and they know that. But I think fans might say, ah, they could just go do it again. I, I think it's going to be really, really tough. It's James Rapine from SI.com's Locked On Bengals with us. Uh, James, I want to go back a few weeks, and I know now it's – you know, a little bit better to talk about it since things are A-OK seemingly, but I assume you were in the stadium when the DeMar Hamlin situation was happening, so I just wanted to check, you know, see your perspective of it and your vantage point and kind of how you experienced that. Yeah, it was the the craziest, scariest situation I've ever seen, maybe ever, but certainly a work standpoint. Uh, you know, we're used to seeing injuries and head injuries and neck injuries and legs and carts and, 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 you know, ambulances here and there, but you never see that. You never see compressions. You never see everything that went into that and, and the, the player reactions. And it's just, that's what stood out about that night. And I think it, it's, it's so awesome that he's doing so well and was at the game the other day because we could talk about it and it, it doesn't have to be as, as sad because the end result seems like it's going to be a good one. But, yeah, it was, it was really scary, unprecedented, and, and something I've never experienced. Well, uh, certainly it is. Uh, I think the story has unfolded in a way we could have never even hoped for. I mean, it's been it's, – it's a better result, I think, than anyone uh, watching that night, whether you were there in the stadium or, or watching on TV, could have – could have ever expected and um, what a blessing it has been that uh, to be able to see him uh, go to the game last week uh, I know it didn't work out the way he would have liked but uh, just uh, and who knows what the future holds but uh, certainly looked uh, a dark like a dark situation on that particular night for sure uh, James before we let we uh, before we let you go let's let's do this if 
if the Colts, and just hypothetically speaking, select Brian Callahan as the head coach, and the next day we have you on, and you're going to tell us why they selected him as the head coach, that would be what? They realize that they're they're going to go the young route at quarterback after going with veterans, even though he could work with a veteran, of course. And they want an offensive mind that's going to be able to grow with that quarterback and, and guide the Colts back to – you know, the playoffs year in and year out. And, you know, could he work with a insert whatever veteran you guys are probably talking about on your show? He could do that too. <laughs> but I think if you hire if you hire Callahan right now, it's to grow with a young guy because he hasn't called plays. And year one might not be, you know, all peaches and cream, but he's an NFL lifer that's, that's going to get the job done long term. And, you know, certainly has more experience than the guy they hired as the interim and is getting a second second look so um and i'm not trying to take a shot at jeff saturday but you know and, um, and if, so that, and if that, that's what i would say yeah and if callahan is not selected it would be why the experience part probably scares them away a bit or or the fact that you know the, the fact that he hasn't called plays which i get look I, that, there's a a big unknown there when the bengals hired Zach Taylor, and I, I think Brian Callahan is much more experienced than Taylor was, but I had plenty of questions about that. And, you know, the Colts don't rebuild. That's not something that they've they've ever really had to go through. I don't think that's just from afar something Jim Irsay would want to do. And so would that be the, the route to go to be able to win right away? You could certainly question it, but clearly I believe in him. I've, I've said a lot of good things about him, but no, I wouldn't mind him staying here and and chatting with me for another year about this Bengals offense. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. Good stuff. Uh, James Rapine, SI.com, Locked on Bengals. Uh, appreciate you spending some time with us, and uh, best of luck to your Bengals this weekend in uh, Kansas City. Thanks, fellas. I can't wait to eat some more barbecue. Thanks, James. <laughs> Good stuff. James Rapine. And uh, how do you how do you see the game? Because the line is kind of moving around, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's I mean, a bit the, funky. The, is that – Got to believe that's on the uh, no pun intended. I was going to say on the heels of of uh, of uh, Mahomes' ankle injury. That's going to have something to do with it, obviously. But we're seeing some pretty significant sliding. It's a bit funky, Jay Cook. Let me pose this to you: uh, the game can obviously change in a big way, considering they're going to be playing outside. Since you are so meticulous with your Chiefs, have you been following the radar just yet about what this weekend's going to be? I've not dove into it just yet, no. Because that could obviously change the entire complexion of the game, depending on what you get. Rainy, I don't know if more snow is on the way to the Midwest or not, but you know, if you get a clear night and Mahomes' ankle is okay, I mean, Jimmy, you do not see a lot of championship games turn into true shootouts, but if there's one that's capable, if it's decent enough weather, it's this one, no? No, I completely agree, and I agree with what James said, that I think there's a lot of, both in the Bengals fan base and from some casual betters, there's a lot of seeing the Bengals as underdogs after the way they dominated Buffalo and wanting to jump in on that side of the line. It's been as high as three points in favor of the Bengals on some sports books yesterday after being two and a half, three point favorites for Kansas City. It's now leveled back out to about, I think, a one point favorite to Cincinnati. That's going to change as the week continues, and then you're going to follow wherever the sharp money is come game time but i haven't been worried about the weather because my bigger worry is the man that's on your television screen to your right right now and the fact that all the beat reporters saying he walked around fine he's practicing today what does that practice report say if he's a full participant today again i'm not saying that he's superman and like he's going to be 100 percent. but if he's a full participant today and able to take all the reps 
it's it's a toss-up game and it's going to be a fun one and anybody that's watching the afc championship game both championship games but in particular the nightcap are going to be treated to i think a really high-powered show on both sides yeah, hmm. That San Francisco-Philadelphia game is going to be a good one, too. That's a 3 o'clock game, and then uh, Cincinnati-Kansas City at 6.30. I, I hope, and I, I don't really care who wins. I just want to see a good game. I hope Mahomes is what he would term 100%. Likely not going to be, but he would uh, not use that as an excuse for sure. But I hope that he has everything available to him because I don't want there to be any reason why, uh, from an injury standpoint, that, that it prohibits them from giving their best shot at it and it would be the same if it was burrow that was limping around i I want them i want them all uh full steam ahead because that's the best that's going to provide the best opportunity for a great game and i think that those two championship conference championship games uh, are just going to be phenomenal because i think there is a lot of electricity possible with that especially that american league or that uh, afc game yeah i hope so too and especially i hope mahomes is healthy not just because of selfish reasons wanting to see a good game but also you know if he ends up not being healthy the entire media narrative for the whole offseason is going to be what if Patrick Mahomes was healthy what is this Super Bowl championship tainted because Patrick Mahomes wasn't fully healthy you know that's going to happen on first take you already know that's going to be a thing so I really hope that Mahomes is healthy so we get a true test of this final four because This is really, Vince, when you think about it, in sort of ways, a changing of the guard. We sort of saw it last year, but you look at the quarterbacks in it right now, Mahomes, Burrow, Hurts, Purdy's kind of the odd man out because we don't know what he is yet, but he's still a young guy in this Final Four, and it's going away from the years that you're seeing Brady consistently in the Final Four. That's not the case this year, maybe never the case again, but it's an exciting time to be a football fan because it's bringing in new ages of fans and these guys who are obviously the next generation this is what you're going to be seeing year to year for the next 15 years and that's exciting how about the other side the nfc uh, what you see from uh, philadelphia and san francisco that that could end up being a toss-up too vince i that is that two and a half is really enticing to bet because you're giving the Niners and all those weapons two points. All those weapons. It's just a matter of Purdy showing up. Can Purdy show up on the road in a tough environment? Playing in Philadelphia, I don't care what sport it is. Playing in Philly is one of the hardest things to do in sports. NHL, MLB, NFL, NBA. Man, they're going to torch Purdy to death, those Philly fans. Yeah, and the one thing I haven't seen Purdy do, I'm not so caught up in the fans obviously the environment's going to be crazy uh, you use the silent count etc but if if philadelphia can get out on fr- uh, out in in front which is going to be really difficult for them uh, against that great 49ers defense but the one thing we really haven't seen purdy have to do is rally from yeah a deficit mm-hmm. and the one th- the reason i think offensively they've been so successful is they haven't had to do that he he's just been able to manage the game don't commit the turnovers let the other team commit you know we saw that in the Dallas game Zach had a couple Zach Prescott has two interceptions Purdy has none he was able to manage the game Uh, it was tight game they led most of the way and he wasn't forced into a situation where he had to make the big play or manufacture the big play I think that the Eagles defense if they can get Purdy in that kind of situation where he's having to create some magic that's where Philadelphia is really going to have the advantage yeah 
No doubt about it. We do have a weather report, boys, for Sunday. Clear, a high of 26, and a low of 15 in Kansas City and Arrowhead. So, pending the wind... No, it's uh, it's Burrowhead now. That's what they're calling it. It's, it's, oh, yeah. It's Burrowhead, because he won there one yeah. time, so... Are you, I'm always you don't sound salty, salty about, about it. it. You don't, you don't sound salty at all, Jimmy. Don't worry. Don't worry, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, so pending the wind, we might be seeing those points rally up. So You're taking the over? They, they might, might bet the over today, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Could change yeah. between now and then, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, by the way, we were talking about with um, uh, James Rapine about uh, Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator of the Bengals, who's uh, been one of those that the Colts have shown interest in. Jeff Saturday, we understand, is getting a second interview. Number can't, two. Can't say that I'm surprised at that. Um, I did see, uh, and I can't remember off the top of my head where I saw it, but one of the, um, you know, one of the, the the odds maker sites listed him as the favorite to get the head coaching job. That did surprise me a little bit that he would be uh, get a second interview. Not surprising, but that uh, from from that perspective that he would be the favorite, uh, it, it it does surprise me a little bit. I Listen, Jeff Saturday, and this is one of the things that's, I think, been a little bit confusing. Jeff Saturday as a player was beloved. I mean, the fan base loved Jeff Saturday. And yet, he's been very polarizing. I mean, the, the, the fan base is just the opposite in regards to the potential that he could be the head coach and I can't recall there being such a flip from one side to the other that uh, that I can recall unique circumstances I understand but um, it's been it's an interesting situation well here's the wild part Vince two weeks before Saturday got the interim job he was banging the anvil before the Washington commanders game and people were screaming their heads off for him at Lucas Oil Stadium and then two weeks later from the anvil to the sidelines he was the interim head coach and now he is getting a second interview with the Colts for the potential head coaching job we are up against it Mark Minner from the Butler Bulldog Radio Network is going to join us next to preview to preview the dogs in action tonight against Providence in New England Mark's a great dude we'll look forward to catching up with him and then at two o'clock Alex Golden from the setting the pace podcast will break down the Pacers win last night over the Bulls good win for the Pacers they break the seven game skin and by the way Jimmy we get money 24 wins over 23 and a half they did it they break the seven game skin we're with Mark Minner next on the fan life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you so long live singing to the oldies jamming out to something new and everything in between Good Wednesday afternoon to you, Brendan King. I'm Vince Welch, Jimmy Cook, our producer, keeping things uh, on track. And speaking of on track, Pacers back on track after that uh, 116-110 win over the Bulls last night at Gamebridge. Big win for the Pacers. No Nimhard, no Halliburton. Eighth different starting lineup in the last nine games. And I got to say, I had my doubts. They were down 21 in the first half, down 16 at the break, but really dominated, uh, just had dominating play in the third quarter and fourth quarters uh, in a couple of different areas that really swayed the outcome in that one. 
Vince, tell you what, ask and you shall receive. You were begging for somebody to step up yesterday when we talked to Chris Denary and Miles Turner did so, especially in the third quarter. I mean, Turner, if you listen to the world's greatest postgame show with Eddie White, career high 16 points in a quarter. That was in the third yesterday. So Miles stepped it up after halftime. I think what impresses me most from the box score, Vince, was Ben Matherin, of course, continues to come off the bench, which I really like. I think he's relishing in that role and you don't, if a rookie has momentum and a rookie is gelling, don't change it. Let him keep doing what he's doing. And that's what Rick Carlisle is. You know, Matherin scores 26, but he's tied for a team high last night, plus nine on the floor. TJ McConnell was plus nine, and TJ McConnell had a double-double. So Ben Matherin is not only scoring, he's playing solid defense, and he's winning when he's on the floor. Plus nine, again, that was tied for a team high yesterday. So you love what you see. The Pacers did not lead in that game last night until about the four-and-a-half-minute mark left in the game. And, I mean, they played from behind the entire night. We mentioned down 21 in the first half, down 16 at the break, but outscored the Bulls 70-48 to 48 in the second half. Pacers didn't shoot it particularly well, 42% for the game. Better in the second half, shot 53%. Uh, from the floor in the second half. But what I loved about the Pacers, limited the turnovers. Only eight turnovers last night. They got some uh, key uh, minutes from, you mentioned McConnell with his fourth double-double of the season, 20 points, 10 assists. I mean, he's playing great basketball. Uh, had a couple of key plays down the stretch. Uh, got good minutes off the bench from Terry Taylor. I mean, 11 points and five rebounds in 20 minutes. Uh, Buddy Heald. How about you talking about stat stuffers? 19 points, five rebounds, four assists, four steals, and three blocks. Hmm. He did a little bit of everything. I mean, that's what he brings this team. I said it from out of the gate, Vince, that I thought Buddy Heald was going to be an important player for the Pacers. I did not want them to flip him shortly after they got him last year. That was a great decision. Now it's paying dividends. And you just get out of the rut in a way, Vince. I realize there's a back-to-back tonight in Orlando, and that can be sneaky on you, especially that Orlando is a relatively talented team, very young, of course, and you know their future in their minds is bright. But that's an important win yesterday. Even though the Bulls have struggled, look at who's on the other side, the names of DeRozan and Levine and Vucevic. So to get out of a rut, that's not an easy game against a team that is right behind you in the play-in section of the East. And... The Pacers, again, I think Kristen Airy said this with Eddie White last night. Would you take, you know, nearly 50 games in, would you, if somebody told you in July, hey, we're going to be 49 games in and the Pacers are going to be a game under 500, you take that 10 times out of 10 in what supposedly is year two of a rebuild, right? Well, the over-under at the beginning of the season, I think, was 23 They and cashed half. it last yeah. night, baby. Finally, Absolutely. they got it. You know, that game last night, It was what I liked about it, too, is it was right there. I mean, it's 110-110 with 30 seconds to go. I mean, it, the Pacers have had games they just didn't close out in the final moments. They had opportunities to win, haven't closed them out in the fourth quarter. Last night, it's tied 110, 30 seconds to go. Uh, McConnell finds Mather in a great, it was a great pass from McConnell, gives the Pacers a two-point lead. And then Buddy Heald gets a steal. Aaron Neesmith gets fouled, knocks down a couple of free throws. Now it's a four-point lead. Pacers force a turnover. Heald ices it with a couple of free throws and uh, outscores Chicago six-zip in the final 30 seconds. And those are the kind of games, I think, that really build that confidence of, hey, we closed it out. 
We did it when we needed to. And there were a lot of times uh, when you've lost seven in a row and you're playing without your, you know, your star and you get down 21, a lot of teams fold the tents and say, yeah, you know, we got a, we got another shot at it tomorrow night. And the Pacers didn't do that. I loved their effort in the second half. And um, uh, kudos to Carlisle and company for getting them to uh, to see the urgency and keep the urgency. And, and to the guys, you know, I mean, it's a player's game. And I, I loved what Miles Turner said afterwards. And, you know, you, you mentioned it. I mean, they 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 stepped up when they had to do it. And um, and they they did it with effort. And I thought that it showed last night. Now, the Bulls were on the back end of a, a back-to-back. And the Pacers have that same challenge tonight, back to back with their uh, game in Orlando. And Orlando, eighteen and twenty-nine on the season. And I think a lot of people are looking at this game as kind of that marquee matchup between Ben Matherin and uh, Paolo Banquero, who was the number one overall pick in the draft. These two guys as rookies, uh, Matherin the sixth pick, but they're having the best seasons for rookies. Boncaro averaging just under 21 points and about six and a half rebounds a game. Matherin 17 and a half points a game, four rebounds per contest. So both 20 years, 20 years old, both guys that are going to be, I think, stars, unless, you know, God forbid something happens physically, they're going to be stars for years and years to come. But I'm really looking forward to seeing that individual matchup tonight. Well, it's a battle of probably one of the two guys, one of the two of them are going to win rookie of the year, right? And I think the early in the season, the sports books had like Boncaro at plus 150 and Matherin at like plus 450. So if somebody got Matherin at those odds, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good clip. So you're seeing, as you said, Vince, that you're, you're seeing the stars of tomorrow that are shining with their respective teams right now. And it's also a chance for Matherin to sort of, and I realize he's coming off the bench, but be the guy. While Halliburton is out, Heels making shots. McConnell has been playing unbelievably as of late. But it's the chance for Matherin. Late in the game, he's usually in. He played 34 minutes last night. It's the opportunity for him to get these big shots taken early. And if that's the one benefit of Halliburton not being on the floor, Matherin learning how to play a more individual game... If ISOs are ever called for him or he's matching up, he's got the ball in the dying seconds of a quarter. Sure, you're missing Halliburton right now. But after all, Vince, this is year two of a rebuild. Making the playoffs would be great. You're in the play-in section of the East. If you get to that point, awesome. Probably make the fan base happy. You get to sell some playoff tickets. But you're getting your young star the ability to get used to the role that he's going to play down the road. I'd love to see, you know, if the Pacers... We got a long way to go here. Long way to go. They're on the edge of making. They're on the edge of the playoffs. They're there, right? Yeah, now, yeah. at least in the play. Yeah. So um, even if it's a one series and done, the experience gained for these young guys would be uh, so valuable as they take the next step forward next year. And this team, I think we talked about yesterday, seven of their key players are 25 or younger, and Miles Turner's 26. I mean, there's there's a lot of young talent on this team that isn't playing all, isn't playing like guys that have their eyes wide open. I mean, they're, they are not intimidated by the moment, and uh, they, they have shown they are capable of playing with uh, the best of them and playing very good basketball. 
and getting to the playoffs is not out of reach for the Pacers. And regardless if it's a one series and done, the experience gained is going to be mm-hmm. so important as they look ahead to taking that next step next year. And who knows? I mean, you know, if you get in, I mean, who knows? All right. I mean, you're not going to win it if you don't get in. And if you get in, you got a shot, even if you're an underdog. So I love what the Pacers have done. I love this young group of players. And what I like about them, too, is they all act like they like one another. Mm-hmm. And they all like they, they like where they're at. And they like what they're doing and who they're doing it with. And it's a fun team to watch, man. If you haven't if you haven't gotten to the game bridge to see them in person, encourage you to do it. But uh, they are a fun team to watch. Really enjoyed them. Well, that's even more beneficial. A team that likes being together because, quite frankly, that's been sort of a problem here. Yeah, there, there's Absolutely. been a problem of guys that have not wanted to be here. Yeah. Now you have a group that does even better. Yeah. Hey, uh, we're going to break into this IU-Minnesota game. We're going to talk with the Jess Settles from the Big Ten Network and talk about the Hoosiers and Gophers. They play tonight. IU looking for its fourth straight Big Ten win. And we'll talk with Jess about IU and his chances. Can the Hoosiers avoid the upset at the barn tonight in Minnesota? It's 107.5-93.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, great to be spending a little bit of uh, the Wednesday with you. Brendan King and Vince Welch and our producer Jimmy Cook. IU and Minnesota tonight, big game for the Hoosiers on the road, trying to extend that Big Ten winning streak. We'll bring in Jess Settles, Big Ten. See him on the Big Ten Network and also FS1 calling college hoops. And uh, tell you what, you talk about guys that could put it in the bucket a lot of teams around the country would like to have Jess Settles on their lineup. What was your career high in college, Jess, at Iowa? I believe it was 29, and I think that might have been twice as a freshman before I blew out my back and I just couldn't score very well after that. But I think as a freshman I had a couple big scoring outputs. But I thought the biggest, uh, the biggest jump from high school to college, especially the Big Ten, was just there were no easy baskets, right? You just, in high school, if you're having an off night, you can get a couple steals, go get some dunks. And in the Big Ten, man, it just seemed like every time you made a basket, you had to earn it. Well, and that takes us right to this opportunity or challenge, depending on how you look at it for Indiana tonight, 13-6 uh, and six overall, 4-4 four and four in the Big Ten. But the Hoosiers have won three in a row, and Minnesota's lost three in a row. IU's beaten the Gophers five straight, 10 of the last 12. I mean, uh, you know, on the surface, it looks like Indiana just goes in there and runs roughshod over Minnesota, but how do you see it? Well, Minnesota's uh, struggling – mightily in, in conference play. They can't protect their home court. They're, I believe they're 0-4 at home. They're pretty beat up. And, you know, they're just it's just a game that Indiana expects to win and, and should go in and, and win by double digits. Now, this is why I don't gamble, right? Because you, you never know. You, you, you still got to play the games. But it looks like Garcia, uh, their 
their uh, center is banged up and may not even play. It, obviously, if he doesn't play, then Trace Jackson has 25 and 12, and, and, it's, and they sail to victory. The, the one thing you got to be concerned about is, is Jamison Battle. He's been banged up as well. But you've got to expect him a couple times this year to have that 30- to 35-point game. You know, when's it going to happen? He's, uh, he's that good, um, but he's been struggling with injuries. So it's, it, uh, Indiana will be heavy favorites in this game. You've got to take care of business. They've had a tremendous 10-day run here, and you've got to keep that going. Hey, Jess, it's Brendan. One thing that Vince and I have been talking about for a majority of the last couple of days is Purdue and back to being number one. But the rest of the rankings, not so much for the Big Ten. Is it surprising to you that Purdue's the only Big Ten team that's ranked? Yeah, that, that, is, that does surprise me. I, I don't think I even uh, noticed that. Um, you get into conference play and you just start beating each other up. Um, it's so difficult to win on the road. I mean, Purdue survived a couple and with their coaching and, and Edie inside. They've been able to overcome that. Uh, obviously, Wisconsin – um, you know, has fallen lately. Tough loss at Northwestern. You guys pounded them. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think if Michigan State can get on a little run here, they can creep back in. But it's it's kind of the dog days of conference play where there's just no mercy and you have to play well. And, and uh, outside of Purdue, I mean, most teams feel like they can still, you know, get a get a bye in the Big Ten tournament with the way everybody's all tied up together. It's interesting you mentioned you know tough to win on the road in the Big Ten, man. I think it's tough to win at home. I mean, you know, you better. I mean, Purdue against Maryland uh, last weekend, you know, had to gut out a you know a three point win at home. You know, you mentioned career highs for you as a player as a freshman. So uh, let's touch on the freshman at Indiana that I think is just phenomenal, and that's Jalen Hood Shafino. Um, among Big Ten freshmen, he's the leader in assists. He's fourth in points, fourth in rebounds. I mean, this guy is a big timer, and um, I've I've said that I think by the end of the season he could very well be the best player on this Indiana team because I think he's that good. That's taken nothing away from TJD. I just think that Hood Shafino has the ability to become a game changer in the backcourt, which I think is huge in the NCAA tournament. So how do you assess Hood Shafino and, and his game as a freshman? You know what? I, I think the best thing that happened to him was having to play against Arizona and Kansas early in the season where you find out that you're not as good as you think you are that your team collectively can't compete against those guys. They were obviously humbled in those games. I mean, they showed some good fight against Arizona, but it, it wasn't really close in the end. Obviously, you go to Kansas and you get beat down. And those for a freshman guard, as you guys know, um, you come in as highly recruited and you're trying to make it work. And it's so difficult to play that position. And then you go against those types of teams early. And, and then you, you start living in the film room. You start lifting more. You start showing up late uh, at night to work on your game so that you can advance. And I, I saw him play. I called the Kennesaw State game. And the thing that really jumped out about him is he's really ahead of schedule on, on those high ball screen actions. He can use his height and strength uh, to his advantage. He can look over the defense when they hedge hard. He can skip it to that opposite corner. And then when he can get ahead of steam, you know, not a lot of freshmen are as strong as he is. And with the improvement of TJD just over the last couple of weeks and his health and his dominance, I mean, Luchafino is able to come off those handoffs and those pick and rolls. And, and I, I agree. He's just, he's got so much upside and he's going to have to continue to play well down the stretch. And, and he will be maybe not their best player 
because of tr- the way Trace is playing. But no question, their most important player into the Big Ten tournament, into the NCAA tournament. He's the real deal, I think. I agree with you. How about these numbers for Jackson Davis over the last two, the win uh, at Illinois and the win over Michigan State? 66 points, 24 rebounds, nine assists, and eight block shots. I mean, that's yeah, incredible. So, yeah, I, I think uh, obviously in the state of Indiana and Hoosier Nation, everybody's so thrilled with that because the expectations were very high for him. Player of the year candidate, obviously, first team All-American candidate. And and obviously with the injury and some of his struggles and the tough losses early, I think everybody was kind of getting to the point, is this going to be his legacy? Like, are they not going to make the tournament again and – are I mean, they made it last year, but you know they're they're not going to come roaring in. Are they going to have to just limp in or not make it? Is he, you know, what part of his games have have improved, and can he not lead his team? And then X's injury. So I just I just think there's a collective sigh of relief and joy as a Big Ten fan, especially as a Hoosier fan, that he's stepped up and started to dominate. This is what everybody expected. This is what we were hoping and. I know it's, it, you know, I always tell people the Indiana uniform is by far the heaviest one to wear. Uh, the, the scrutiny, the expectations, the glory, the dread, all of those things. Everything's just bigger and more magnified there. So this has been, this has been outstanding. They are a completely different team, and he has just been absolutely dominant. And maybe most importantly, his, his passing and decision-making out of the doubles have been just as impressive as his 30 points and all the all the damage he does on the glass. Jess, you mentioned the Xavier Johnson injury. Race Thompson is just getting back to it. We'll see if he's able to get back to form. But uh, you know as well as anybody that usually one guy can't just win you an NCAA tournament game. Does Indiana have the depth to go out possibly to win the Big Ten or you know reach the Sweet 16 or more? I think they do. Um, I, I think Bates has, has really stepped up. I mean, he won a couple couple of those wins there. I don't think he scored. And then he had drilled five threes against Michigan State. Um, Galloway is shooting 50% or a little bit better than that from beyond the arc. Um, Geronimo has been impressive. I, I love the bounce in his step. So, yeah, I, I think they do have the tools, um, the, the strategy. They're, they're cutting harder to the basket off the double teams. Um, their defense, they're hedging harder, fighting over the screen. They're just playing a lot harder and smarter. Um, so I, I think they do. But obviously, TJD's back's got to hang in there. And I don't know X's situation whether he'll be back or not. But if he could, you know, if he could get a couple weeks of practice, that that would only help him. Um, but the, I think they have the depth. I, will they run out of time for a Big Ten championship? Purdue's obviously putting everybody in the vice grips. But it's just everything's changed, right, guys? Over the last three games it's, everything's changed for this program well and we talked to matt painter earlier today and and we talked about the number one ranking and he said what's most important to him is the number one seed in the tournament and if the number one ranking helps you get that then certainly that's advantageous and even if indiana doesn't make its way toward a big 10 championship you're always playing for a better seed in the tournament and the Hoosiers have got to take care of business here with that three-game winning streak. Their next three, Minnesota, Ohio State, Maryland, three of the uh, teams that are at the bottom, three of the four worst, if you will, from a conference uh, record standpoint in the Big Ten. So this is a real opportunity for Indiana, and you win, go out and win those games, and it continues to improve your standing when you do reach the postseason. Absolutely, and and they're just playing so much smarter. They're, they're keeping their shooters on the strong side when they're – 
when they're doubling track Trey Jackson Davis. So you, you can't come down and help off too much from the shooter. Gives him an opportunity to go one-on-one. The hockey assists are up for sure. They're making that extra pass and swinging it. You obviously have a serious advantage when you have a guy who draws double teams. And they struggled handling that for some reason. They were almost guarding themselves earlier in the year, plugging up the lane. Uh, They're bringing him out top. I think against Illinois, they brought him out top several times, kept the paint opened up, dribble handoffs. Um, It just makes life easier for Cop and Bates and Geronimo and all their shooters. And, and so, yeah, you, those next three games you just mentioned, you got to go two and one or three and oh in those. Um, and if you do, well, then all of a sudden your confidence is soaring and, and uh, you start getting calls down the stretch and, and things just go better for you, obviously. Well, put yourself in a lot better position, that's for sure. Good stuff, uh, Jess. Uh, great insight. Appreciate you. Um, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you on TV sometime soon. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate okay. it. That's Jess Settles, the former Iowa star who uh, is uh, does a great job. I, in fact, I've done a couple of games with Jess. A great job on the analyst side. And you'll see him on your television a lot of times talking Big Ten or Big East. And it was great to have him uh, kind of breaking down IU and Minnesota tonight. Look forward to that one for sure from Minneapolis. And when we come back, we're going to uh, talk with Alex Golden more about that Pacers win last night and also visit with Mark Menner about the challenge facing the Butler Bulldogs this evening as they play on the road at Providence. 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Final hour of the show. Along with Brendan King, I'm Vince Welch. Producer Jimmy Cook. Looks like the weather has calmed down. Everybody can relax a little bit. If you got to get somewhere, I think you can get there. That's good news. A little dicey this morning, but this afternoon much better. It's still been a good day to just kind of hang out inside. Hope you've enjoyed if you've been listening today. And uh, we've had some good stuff on, and uh, we're going to continue that. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier that big Pacers win last night, uh, 116-110 over the Bulls, snapping that seven-game losing streak. We'll bring in Alex Golden from Setting the Pace and Blue and Golden. And uh, uh, I, I, I don't know, you know, when you've won seven in a row or you've lost seven in a row, Alex, I don't know how you'd call any win anything other than a big win. But I liked the way the Pacers got it done last night. The the win itself is is critical because it ends that losing streak. But it just was uh, in incredibly impressive fashion, I thought, particularly in the second half. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. I think if you look at how this Pacers team looked in that first half, it really did feel like, okay, they're about to extend this losing streak to eight games, you know, going down into the half by 16 and getting down by 21 in the third quarter. But you just this Pacers team really all season long has been a fighting team that's always done a good job of fighting uh, when they've been down and clawing, clawing their way back. And their first stretch, they were winning a lot of those games. And uh, it was just really good for them to finally get over the hump and get that victory without Tyrese Halliburton. You're kind of hoping – maybe that that confidence from that game last night will carry over into the future because this is a uh, a big opportunity for some of these guys to get more playing time with Tyrese out. And 
you know, one guy that's really been taking advantage of that is T.J. McConnell, and he's been playing great. You know, and we talked about uh, the Pacers down 21 in the first half, down 16 at halftime. I don't think the Bulls could have played any better. I mean, you, granted, the Pacers shot 42% in the first, you know, for, for the game and and uh, did not shoot the ball particularly well in that, in that first half. But, man, the Bulls, I mean, they hit everything. So, at some point, yeah, you could play a little better defense to maybe make those shots a little harder. But I thought the Bulls did everything that they could have possibly done and um, thankfully, they cooled off a little bit in the second half. Yeah, I think going back to T.J. McConnell, I think he really got into the head of Zach Levine. Zach Levine only had 14 points last night, and he had six turnovers, and he had quite a few there towards the towards the end. And he was 0-7 from three, and I felt like DeRozan and Vucevic kind of carried their weight, and I thought that the bench played pretty strongly for Chicago as well, and DeSumo had a couple big shots there. But Levine is someone that usually has his way with the Pacers, and he did not play good last night at all. So I think that you're right. Chicago, they got off to a hot start. Looked like they were going to be able to pull this one out, even when it got close towards the end. But, uh, yeah, it is uh, definitely a big opportunity for the Pacers to just get that get that scoring streak going there in the second half between Turner in the third quarter and Mather in there in the fourth. Alex, it's BK. Second half, especially defensively, that side of the floor, what stood out? I think, honestly, just like Miles talked about in the post-game press conference, they finally started trusting one another, and that's been the thing all along. When you start losing, you kind of have this body language about you that you're just not really trusting your teammates and not really being connected. And this is what this team has done great all season when they've been winning games is they've been super connected. I think that was a big part of it. Uh, They upped their physicality quite a bit. And I really think that Terry Taylor last night, getting 20 minutes, getting 11 points, five rebounds, I felt like he was kind of a game changer last night for the Pacers. And obviously the stats won't show like a lot of great things, but he's just so physical, keeping balls alive on the offensive side of things, getting the Pacers more possessions. I felt like he was a big game changer. And, you know, he ended up getting rewarded those minutes where Jalen Smith only got six and Isaiah Jackson only got seven. But, you know, Terry Taylor is a guy that's been out of the rotation for pretty much the whole season. So to see him get an opportunity was fantastic. And I think, with this performance, it should allow him to get more opportunities. Uh, guy you just mentioned, Jalen Smith, it's been a funky season when you look at his statistics and his minutes, playing six minutes last night. What has happened with him from last year? Because, of course, he had the heck of a run after he was acquired by Phoenix. They made the effort to keep him around. So what's going on with the minutes distribution to Jalen Smith? Is it just performance-based? Yeah, I think that's really what it is. And I think Rick Carlisle talked about, you know, they got to try to get at Jackson some minutes too, because whenever they put, you know, miles as the sole big in the starting lineup and moved Aaron Neesmith into that, that power forward position, it was really because you started to see teams change their defensive schemes and start putting power forwards on miles and putting their center on Jalen Smith. So the Pacers are a better team when they only have one big in the starting lineup. And that means that Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith, are going to have to share those minutes, but, Yeah, Jalen Smith last year, I think, when he first came over, he got off onto a really hot start. And even towards the the back half of the last last part of the season, he was there, probably like the last 10-ish games. He wasn't great. He was just okay. But you were banking on maybe they found something there with what he showed in the first part of when he came. And unfortunately, he just really hasn't found his footing. I think going back and forth from is he a four, is he a five, what position does he play best? I think, honestly, that's probably been part of the problem with some of the the struggles, but I really think he is a center, 
And unfortunately, I think Isaiah Jackson's the center as well, and Miles Turner obviously is the center. So you kind of have to pick and choose who you play. But uh, hopefully Jalen is young. I think he's got a strong head, and I think that you know he's in good communication with the coaching staff. Uh, it's just a bit of a rut. We saw Chris Duarte go through the same thing, and I think he'll break out of the slump. But I don't think we're going to see anything close to what we saw last year when he was playing great. I think that's a great point. You know, the minutes, it's hard with the depth that the Pacers have. It's hard to provide minutes. You can't provide minutes to everybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, BK and I were talking about uh, this yesterday in the sense that with Halliburton out, somebody needs to step up and somebody needs to kind of take the reins, so to speak, and not everyone stand around and not that they're necessarily doing this, but waiting for Halliburton to get back to start winning again. And we've seen other teams that have done that, that the Pacers have played against this season. And then last night, no Nimhard, no Halliburton. If those two guys are playing, we don't probably see those minutes uh, from Terry Taylor and that performance you talked about. Yeah, I mean, with a with a healthy roster, some of these guys that stepped up, you don't they don't get that playing time. Chris Duarte probably doesn't play twenty six minutes; he probably plays like nine or ten. And yeah, I mean, Trevor and Queen even got in there, played six minutes. I thought he struggled a little bit, but that's expected for a two way guy. You know, I was just impressed that T.J. McConnell was able to play forty one minutes last night and keep that level of energy on both sides of the floor. I just think, you know, he's a veteran. He's not old, but you know, he's been around the league longer than most of the guys on the roster. And he just brings it uh, all the time. And I feel like he's really stepped up. It was good to see Miles Turner step up in this game as well. But I, you're right. I mean, with everyone healthy, it's just a hard thing to do to find minutes. And, you know, that's why a lot of people expected some of these guys would get a chance to develop this year. And maybe that's what Jalen was thinking, if they were going to make a trade with some other veteran guys, that he might get more minutes and that would benefit him. But, you know, with the way Miles has been playing this year, you can't keep him on off the floor. He's been fantastic. And uh, I agree with you, uh, the comment you made earlier about Terry Taylor. I, I thought his energy uh, changed, um, you know, changed the game in some ways for the Pacers, just as the way T.J. McConnell always seems to ignite uh, the energy button when uh, when he comes into a game. And just changing the pace can oftentimes get you back on uh, on task and and what you're trying to get accomplished and uh, McConnell seems like he, he I mean rarely does he come into a game and not change the feel of the game and I thought Terry Taylor did a good job of that in uh, his 20 minutes off the bench last night as well a terrific win let's uh, let's move forward and look ahead to tonight Alex and and uh, the matchup between Paulo Bencaro and Ben Matherin how much is Matherin using this as a little bit of an opportunity maybe to to, uh, carry that chip in, on his shoulder into this game and show that you know maybe he's the best rookie in the league. Well, I definitely think this is going to you know be uh, something Matherin's got circled on his calendar because the last two times when the Pacers played back to back against Orlando here in Indianapolis, uh, Boncaro wasn't able to play in those games. So I, I think that this is one Matherin's probably excited about, and we know that Matherin is very uh, aware of who was a dra- drafted ahead of him because when they played the Pistons early on, you know. He and Jaden Ivey were having a fun little back and forth there, and he was just kind of letting Jaden Ivey know, like, you know, I, this is who I am. Don't forget about me. So uh, I, I love that that chip on his shoulder, that uh, that mentality of I want to prove I'm better than you. And, you know, everybody right now has said it's come down to these two for rookie of the year, and I think a lot of people will be watching this game just for that narrative. But I think Matherin knows, like, this is a good opportunity for me to prove that, you know, I belong in that same category. And even though Boncaro is the favorite for sure right now, 
Mather can really put a stamp on that and uh, just go out there and play his game. So I, I'm excited to see how he approaches this game. But Matherin's a guy that it really doesn't matter. He never feels like he's forcing too much. He just kind of plays the game his style no matter what's at stake. So I'll be excited to see how he approaches this one. Hey, Golden, so we are talking on January the 25th, and the Pacers have just cashed their over-under win total for the season. Again, people expected them to win 23 games by the time April ended, let alone by the time January ended. So this has been a question that's been tossed around to a lot of minds, I feel. So I want to ask you, is this officially, in your mind, an ahead-of-schedule rebuild? Yeah, I would definitely say that. I mean, the way that they were playing early on in the season, they were sitting there in like the 5 six seed for a while, and it sure felt like this team was, you know, like way ahead of schedule with the way Nimhart had developed already as a rookie. The stuff he's doing, it just does not feel like stuff a, a 31st overall pick should be doing as a starter. Matherin averaging like 17 points off the bench. Halliburton, you know, jumping into the all-star conversation, which I think he's going to be named an all-star. And then the growth you've seen from guys like Aaron Neesmith and then Nick Sedham with the veterans, like, yes, it does feel like this team is completely ahead of schedule. I was one of the, the doubters that thought this team would be under the 23 win uh, mark just because I thought they would trade away some of their key veterans like a buddy, like a Miles early in the season to kind of position themselves for a better draft pick because of the way Carlisle and Pritchard had kind of came out and talked to everybody. Like Kevin Pritchard writing a letter to start the season saying be patient with this was something we've never seen from him before. So I was expecting a, a, a very heavy loss season, but I think with the way these guys have developed, it's really been the young core that's been the, cat- the catalyst of this team playing well. So they're ahead of schedule. I think they're still a couple pieces away, but it's really exciting to see this young team already gelling and makes you excited for the future. With the uh, trade deadline approaching, and, and you mentioned that you know there was some thought that that you had that maybe they were going to move some guys. Uh, with the trade deadline approaching, do you get a sense that some of the guys are feeling the nerves of being potential pieces of of a move? Um, you know, obviously Miles Turner gets the most significant mention, but whether or not the Pacers are active in the trading uh, during before the trade deadline or not, it's not likely to be one guy that would go. I mean, if if you put a package together, it's going to be multiple players. So, do you anticipate or feel that uh, that they're kind of looking over their shoulder until that deadline comes and goes? Yeah, I mean, probably a little bit. I think veterans like Miles and Buddy, their names have been in rumors for years, so they're probably used to being able to play with that. But you're talking about a young guy like Chris Duarte. His name's kind of been brought up in rumors of the last couple of uh, news cycles that have been leaked out there by like reporters like Jake Fisher, those kind of guys, Mark Stein. And for a guy that's never been in it, I'm sure that that, that does have more of an impact on him than a guy that's been through it multiple times. So I think the coaching staff in the front office is very transparent with their players, and I think – that does give them a little bit of peace of mind, a little bit of clarity on what's going on with the situation. But at the end of the day, I think they just got to focus on what they can control, go out there and play their best basketball and not worry about it. But we saw how much it affected Tyrese Halliburton last year when he got traded from the Kings to the Pacers. So I guarantee all these young guys, if their names are mentioned in it or they're hearing a little bit and it's not been addressed by the front office, that would probably be a little bit worrisome. But I think overall the front office does a terrific job communicating with their players what's happening. So they shouldn't be too concerned about it. And some of these guys might like to be traded, like we heard about Gogo Batadze, to, to a new opportunity to maybe get a chance to showcase what they can do on a different team that has 
a spot where they can maybe get some playing time. Alex Golden is our guest on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Alex, this is a total gut question for you of, of what you're feeling because the answer to this question is only known by Kevin Pritchard. In your mind, has he made up his mind yet on whether the Pacers will be buyers or sellers or is the cat still not out on the bag yet when it comes to that? Because, of course, the trade deadline is looming, but the seven-game losing streak on top of what they've already done, do you think Pritchard knows what he wants to do? I think they have an idea, and I think the big picture here is probably still to realize there are a few pieces away. Um, if you would have asked me before Halliburton got injured this question, I really thought probably just kind of stay pat with this team, let it ride out. Uh, even if Miles hadn't agreed to an extension yet, I think they might have let it play out and at least give this team a chance to kind of show what they what they could do because he did the same thing in 2018-2019 when Oladipo went down and kept that core intact because they asked him to. And I think you have to listen to what your players are saying because you don't want to upset the players and just punt on the season and then maybe lose them for the future. So for me, I, I think with the seven-game losing streak, it does give them a little bit more of an opportunity here to maybe be more sellers and buyers. I think it would be a, a bit of a mistake to be, be buyers at this point because we know that it's a seller's market. And you don't want to overpay. We saw a lot of overpaying in the offseason for guys like Rudy Gobert and DeJounte Murray. You don't want to see that same thing happen uh, for the Pacers. You know, a lot of people have been bringing up the name OG Ananobi from Toronto. Well, he can be a free agent after next season. So are you really going to give up the, the farm to bring a guy that maybe only be here for one year? Probably not. So I think the Pacers have to look at this as we'll probably stay pat. Got to figure out the mile situation. Is he worth trading if he's not going to resign? Do they have to do that? I think they have to, but I would assume there'll be more sellers than buyers, BK. What's your uh, feel on Miles? Oh, that's a that's a great question, Vince. I'm 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 torn. I go back and forth because it feels like he really likes this group. It feels like you know he's talked about this being a special team, and he's playing his best basketball with this group and with Tyrese Halliburton at the helm. But at the same time. I think Miles Turner is at that point where he really wants to win basketball games and be in the playoffs. And where this team is currently at, they're in the playing game. They're not a solidified playoff team. And he's never been a free agent. I think a lot of guys like to just test the market and see what's available to them and see all their options instead of just settling in one spot. So I'm still 50-50 on it, but I won't be surprised either way. I I, I feel like if I had to pick one, I'd say my gut says he probably – would prefer the route of going into free agency, and that's why I think he'll probably get traded. But uh, we've been hearing Miles Turner trade rumors for like five, six years now, and he's still uh, with the Pacers. So it's uh, it's definitely one of those things where I don't feel great about it, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. So TJ McConnell, you've brought him up a couple times in this interview, and of course because he's playing his butt off right now in the absence of Tyrese Halliburton. I know folks have talked about McConnell as a – he kind of suits more to playing for a contender as opposed to a rebuilding team. Is, is he playing himself into possibly being somebody that a contender would look at and be like, hey, I'll, I'll give you a decent amount for him if you're willing to let him go? I just think T.J. McConnell plays hard no matter what. I don't think yeah. it really matters um, if it's about getting traded or not. I just think that's just the way McConnell's, uh, you know, He's just built that way. He's built to be a fierce competitor. That's what got him to the league. That's what got him to the position that he's in. Like, you got to remember when he was brought here, 
he was brought here to be a third string point guard behind Aaron Holiday. Yeah. And after about three weeks, Dan McMillan's like, I, I can't keep this guy off the floor. He's too important to our team. So I personally just think the Pacers value him. Rick Carlisle values him. I don't think they want to get rid of him. Uh, you see when you have an injury like this to Tyrese, how important this type of player is to your team. So uh, I don't think they'll trade him at all this year, maybe in the offseason if they feel like Nimhard, they want to get him more opportunities as the, as the backup point guard. That's where I could see McConnell potentially moved. But I don't I don't envision them making that drastic of a change because of how much Rick Carlisle likes having multiple ball handlers on the floor. I think with McConnell's improved three-point shooting, why it's a small sample size, we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, you know, he's been working his butt off to get that shot together. And I think the front office and the coaching staff are just super high on him. So would be surprised if he was dealt. Yeah, I love everything about McConnell's game and what he brings to it from an energy standpoint. And and then, as you said, he's really worked hard to improve that three-point shot. And, and we've seen the, the fruits of that labor. It, what do the Pacers need if you uh, if you had the uh, the magic wand, <laughs> yeah, they gotta address the forward position. I think both small forward and power forward. While it's you know it's doable with Buddy Hield and Aaron Neesmith right now, they're winning games. You can't say too much against it. But I just wonder how how long you can play four guards with a center. I don't think it's sustainable for the playoffs, in my personal opinion. So that's why they've been linked to like Rui Hachimura recently. Their name was in there as a finalist. They've been linked to guys like John Collins, PJ Washington, OG Ananobi. These are all forwards that I think would help. Just getting a guy that's in that six six to six eight range that can potentially be your best defender on the perimeter and be able to knock down the three point shot. I think that's that's what the Pacers really do need. So it's a it's I think they could trade for it. I don't know if it's at the deadline or in the summer, but I think they could definitely trade for it. And I think there's a lot of potential players in this draft that fit that need as well. So that that's where I think they really need to improve upon. Yeah, I'd like to see uh, rebounding. Uh, there are times where yeah. I think the rebounding could be better. And just the pro, prohibiting, uh, prohibiting the ball from getting to the basket. Uh, on the defensive yeah. side to give up a lot of dribble drive but um it's you know it's hard to complain i mean I, honestly i mean as we said they've already topped what was expected of them in regards to a win total uh, exciting team young you can't expect them to be great because they're not and you, you got to be realistic about your expectations and keep tweaking it and keep getting better and uh, hopefully they'll turn in Hopefully they'll turn into that team. It'd certainly be great to have a championship-caliber team at Indianapolis again. That's for sure. Yeah, totally, totally agree with you there. Good stuff, Alex. We appreciate you, and uh, we'll do it again. Yeah, can I can I share a quick story with you, real quick, Vince? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, so you probably I don't even know uh, if you were if you were with WIBC. I think you were. It was around like ninety nine two thousand. I was in the eighth grade, and there was a uh, an opportunity for kids to call in and read the sports uh, <laughs> sports highlight or whatever it was. I, I don't know if you were off. I, I think Jeff Pigeon was there as well uh, with you guys, Terry Stacy and, yep. and that group. And I actually called in, and I was able to come in for the seven thirty uh, reading. And I don't know if they have it on <laughs> tape anywhere, but uh, it was just super cool because I remember coming into the studio, WIDC, and uh, I was able to read the sports. Uh, scores and all that kind of stuff. I remember and that. Yep. I, I butchered Syracuse and I said Cyrus and you. And, I think it was you and Terry Stacy were like, "Oh, we like Cyrus better anyway." So <laughs> I just thought it was 
thought it was pretty cool that, you know, here, you know, 20 some years later, I'm able to have a conversation with you. So just kind of funny how that all turned around. Yeah, that's uh, good stuff, man. I appreciate you uh, bringing that up and, and uh, sharing that and keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. That's Alex Thanks, Brolin from uh, Setting the Pace. And um, I don't think he was intentionally trying to make me feel old, but when he dropped it, you know, he was like in middle school and I was here. <laughs> well, I, I feel you were about ready to kill me when I said my freshman year at Butler is Brandon Miller's. It was Brandon Miller's year. Like, oh man, you're young. <laughs> well, I never think of myself as uh, you know the age I am. I always think of myself as your guys' age, and then as you, know, you should. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm going with that. I'm rolling with that that philosophy. That's for sure. Um, 93.5, The fan coming back. Uh, we're going to chat with Mark Minner about the Butler Bulldogs. Butler at Providence tonight, and what a tall task that is. Looking forward to that conversation. And also, maybe if we have time, revisit uh, the conversation we had with Matt Painter uh, earlier in the show. Of course, uh, coach of the number one Purdue Boilermakers. They play at Michigan tomorrow night. 93.5, 107. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 75 the fan. Great to have you back with us on this uh, final 30 minutes here on the fan, along with Brendan King and producer Jimmy Cook. I'm Vince Welch. It's uh, been a fun couple of days. I appreciate the opportunity to come in and uh, sit and uh, talk sports for a couple of days. And and uh, Vin, hope you have uh, enjoyed it, or at least I appreciate you <laughs> tolerating it. But uh, selfishly fun for me to come in here and be able to do it. And uh, it's uh, it's been enjoyable, Brendan. No, I've enjoyed uh, getting to know you that we had not met before uh, coming in here. And, yeah. and uh, you do good stuff. You're you. Uh, uh, I, I know this isn't your your dream path because you're a baseball announcer. You're an announcer. You want to do games, and you're doing that already at uh, in South Bend in the mm-hmm. Cubs organization. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, you you do a great job at at, at this stuff too. So I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Bright, right, bright future. Right back at you too. And I mean, it's been awesome to get to know your story about what you did at WIBC because, I mean, this building has been around yeah. for a long, long time with all kinds of personalities passing through and even a former vice president. I mean, th- I think that was the craziest <laughs> thing I ever found out about this place is, like, you can walk through the fourth floor here and look at staff pictures of the past and, like, you see, oh, there's Bob Lovell, there's Scotty Johnson, there's, oh, there's Mike Pence. <laughs> and I had to ask people, like, what in the world is he doing here? And then I found out. Yeah, Mike so. was, um, he had a little bit of a, a brief period where he wasn't in, in the political world yeah. and he hosted a, a radio show on a uh, statewide show on on um, network indiana and which of course was right out of the studios here and yeah i mean we'd sit in there and you know you put your feet up and you'd talk sports and baseball and he'd have me on the show occasionally and we but just was a regular guy yeah you know crazy. and then uh it turns out to be <laughs> vice president of number the United two yeah yeah and um Let's uh, turn to uh, Mark Minner, the uh, play-by-play voice of the Butler Bulldogs in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, where the Dogs will take on the Friars tonight. Hello, Mark. 
How are you doing, my friend? It's great to hear your voice. Good. Well, thank you. It's uh, You got out of town just in time. I'm not sure what the weather's like in uh, Providence, but it was a pretty nasty day here today. So we're, uh, we're all glad to be inside. And as I'm sure you will be glad to be inside in the heat and the warmth of watching Butler in Providence tonight. How do you see that one shaping up? No doubt. No doubt. And uh, yeah, we're clear so far out here on the East Coast, but it's... Uh, it is. Uh, we're getting the reports. Everybody's getting the reports back uh, home, so we can make sure that there's no uh, no drama tonight getting in after the game. But I think you know tonight there's uh, you know it's been a tough been a tough stretch to be honest, right? I mean you've got you've got uh, you know a really tough conference. You've got a really tough opponent, a top twenty five opponent tonight that uh, you're squaring up against, and it's a it's a conference where you know when you've won games you've won games when you've lost games it's been a pretty big margin and uh, i think that's one of the challenges right now for for butler is figuring out how do we make sure we compete at a different level more consistently in the game uh you know kind of throughout the game but the challenge has been when this is a butler team when they've led at halftime they're 11 and 0 when they have not led at halftime they're 0 and 10 and it's been you know they've just not been super close games in the losses. Only four of the 21 games this season, wins and losses, have been decided by less than 10 points. So it's been kind of an interesting season in that sense. But you know, the, the hope is how quickly can Manny Bates return, who's missed the last three games, and what's what's it going to take maybe to get a little bit of a spark and and try and capture some of the, the you know the energy and, and the, the the way that they played and some of the earlier wins like against Kansas State, which is now a you know, top five team. Uh, as well as the energy that was captured in that in that Villanova home game, so uh, I think there's you know there's just questions about what it's going to take to kind of turn the the direction against some of these really tough teams, and it's going to start here tonight with, with about as tough of a test as you're going to get on the road to Providence. Yeah, before we turn to Providence uh, specifically, what, how about Bates? Any idea when we might see him again? He's missed the last three. Well, I think with with Manny, uh, you know, the the goal was that he would be able to get back in the last matchup for the Bulldogs against UConn. They've been monitoring him. He's been he's obviously traveling with the team, trying to get back and and able to go with the knee injury. So I think it's going to be one of those game time decisions. But everybody is trying to get him back and healthy, especially in you, you know how physical Providence, you know how tough Providence is, and some of the challenges the Bulldogs have had on the glass. Having the inside presence of Manny Bates is is really important. So they're, they're working hard to try and get him back for tonight. Providence 7-2 and two in the league. Uh, losses at Creighton and at Marquette, but uh, most recently coming off a win. But the last time these two teams hooked up at Hinkle back at the end of the year, December 29th, uh, Providence took out the whooping stick, beat, uh, beat the dogs by 20. What happened in that game that the, that the uh, Bulldogs have to uh, make different this time around? Well, I, I think a couple things were, were really relevant in, in that last matchup. And, and really, one of the challenges for the Bulldogs this season has been, in, in the conference play, has been on the glass. In, in that matchup against Providence, it was a 44-29 rebounding advantage for the Friars. And it's going to be really tough uh, to, to win games when you're, when you're getting out-rebounded by, by those margins. It was also uh, a performance where Friars held Butler to just 2 of 16 from beyond the arc. So if, you know, if, if you're struggling inside to be able to get extra possessions or stop them from getting extra possessions, as well as you're struggling to get shots to fall from the perimeter, it's kind of a recipe for, for some challenges uh, on both ends of the floor. So I think if you're Butler, number one, it starts with, with how you show up on the glass. Uh, you know, Providence is one of the top 
five offensive, top six offensive rebounding teams in the country. Uh, they have just dominated opponents. And in Butler's losses in conference play, they're getting out-rebounded right now by an average of, of about 12 rebounds a game. So it's, it, it starts, I think, how, how can you rebound as a group more effectively? You may not win the rebounding battle, but, but you've got to keep the margin a lot tighter, especially second-chance opportunities for Providence around the glass. So I think that's one of the big ones. And then, you know, it's, it sounds obvious, but, but making sure you can find a way to generate offense. This is, a, this is a Providence team that will commit fouls, will send people to the line if you're aggressive. They're a very tough, very physical team. And, and you got to have a, a better outside performance than, you know, two of 16 or so. So um, this is a Butler team that, unfortunately, when the offense has got a little bit stuck, it's been, you know, kind of contested. It's been in the mid-range and things like that. So can you get aggressive? Can you attack? Uh, and can you take advantage of mistakes from, from the Friars? But I, I, I really think that the rebounding margin is something we've heard the coaching staff continue to, to emphasize to the team. Uh, that's why Manny Bates is so important. But, but if, you know, you have to keep that margin tighter. Uh, against a team like Providence. Mark Minner with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. My man, I hope you're enjoying a beautiful part of the country. want to ask you about Manny, too, because I think one of the marquee storylines preseason for everybody was getting to see possibly Manny Bates and Jalen Thomas work with each other, one on the bench, one on the floor, or both on the floor at a time, but unfortunately due to Jalen's health, that hasn't been a factor. Now Manny's been hurt, but uh, Mark, is there a part of Manny's game besides the physical force that you see inside on a nightly basis that Butler misses most right now? Well, man, you think back to earlier this season, Manny was logging big-time minutes, yeah, 35 minutes a game or so when the, the rotation was super lean. And, and obviously, his size and strength is really helpful. Think, think about this. This is a, this is a shot-blocking presence. One of the best shot blockers in North Carolina State history had, came in and made an immediate impact in terms of the way he's, he's able to contest in a team like Providence that, that does play inside. Manny, Manny challenges. Manny, Manny is aggressive and changes how teams are able to attack Butler. Uh, additionally, offensively, uh, not only has he been throughout the season, he's the, he's the leading scorer right now, has he been a bucket, he's been a, a person they can depend on to go down low for, for a bucket, but he's also able to step out, has a, has a really good mid-range game. This is a guy who's you know shooting over 60% from the field. He's been really efficient for the team. So defensively, he really makes things difficult for opponents with his shot-blocking presence and then offensively his ability to to not only step out hit shots but also be really efficient inside butler has been looking for ways to generate points in the paint without manny bates that that certainly hurts and he and and as you know uh, he and jalen have such different styles it's been fun to watch them play but to your point jalen missed the first 11 games with the pulmonary embolism and then it's taken a while to kind of get back in there on the floor and and as he's done that manny's missed the last few games and really Manny's been been battling injuries throughout the the season as you know do do a lot of folks certainly but Manny's you know hope you know I think that the comment that coach Mata made after the UConn game talking about could Manny play could he not play it's really important to the to the coaching staff to coach Mata that they're they're trying to make sure that if he's able to go it's it's he he is able to go they're not going to you know force him out there rush him out there unnecessarily so uh, I, I think Manny provides so much to this team he's also just a, a really veteran presence right he's, he's been through it and uh, and that's an important thing for for this public squad it's tough enough in the Big East because the the teams are so good and the talent is present at every stop but then when you come in 
as a first-year head coach and you're making that transition with the program, and, and yes, you have the, the transfer portal, but there's always – I think it's unrealistic to not expect there to be some sort of transfer or uh, transitional struggles. And Butler has experienced that. But you mentioned the Bates injury. Uh, Jalen Thomas, the the pulmonary embolism, missed uh, so much time early on. Ali Ali missed the first 11 games. I mean, even under the circumstances of healthy players, it's a tough transition with a first-year head coach. Then you throw in all of the injuries, and, uh, man, they are up against it in this Big East conference because uh, there are no days off. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great point, Fitz. There's, there, you know, there's – First off, there are four ranked Big East teams out of the 11 teams in the school right now, second most uh, of any conference. There, there are really good teams playing night in, night out. It's what you sign up for. It's, it's what the Bulldogs certainly want uh, to, to hold themselves to that standard. But, but to your point about kind of the inconsistency of it, it, what's interesting is it has not, to your point, just been one person that's been battling injuries throughout the year. It's been a multitude of players, high-impact players, uh, Jalen Thomas, Ali Ali, and uh, – and Manny Bates, to, to name a few, in addition to the fact that it's, you know, a lot of front court challenges, DJ Hughes, Miles Wilmoth, uh, John Michael Malloy, others that would be able to get some extra minutes out there and, and offset, just, just uh, you know, have, have continued to have injuries. And so I think one of the challenges has been when you bring in Ali Ali and Jalen Thomas and they're unable to really play early parts of the season and in practice, which you might have been preparing for in Italy and throughout the summer, now looks a lot different. And so as they make their it, – it's just been inconsistent in terms of the rotations, in terms of the minutes, and, and in terms of the – you know, where people are playing out on the floor. For example, without – you know, early in the season, you saw Lukosius having to play a lot of the four. And, and then as that – you know, as Ali and Jalen start to come back, now he transitions back into a different role. He's been playing well of late. So, you know, can, can Butler engage him a little bit more in the offense? Uh, you know, so you just have a little bit of the, the game of chess there throughout the season, Vince. To your point, when you're, you know, kind of a new staff coming together and a, and um, you know, first year putting that putting the pieces together. I, I think there's you know just a lot of things that go into trying to find the right rotations and trying to figure out the right formula. And uh, it, it's just you know it's challenging when you don't know what you're going to have each each night. You mentioned Seamus, uh, Seamus Lacocious, and he has shot it so well over the last uh, four or five, get what, the last four games. I think he's yep. averaging yep. about 18 points a game, shooting 63%. Uh, do, uh, does, does Butler need him to be even more aggressive offensively, or is he just getting it within the framework of the offense, and that's what's most, uh, most needed uh, from, in regards to how that helps the other, uh, the other players? I think he's been more aggressive for sure. Uh, you know, the last few games, his ability to drive into the lane, create, he's a, he's a big, strong physical player. So his ability to initiate contact, his ability to get in the lane, he's got a lot of different ways he can score. He's been a really good three point threat for the Bulldogs. One of the, yeah, I think he's sixth in the Big East right now in three point shooting over 40%. So he's, he's, he's been able to score from beyond the arc. He's been able to drive, get to the free throw line, knock down shots. And also has a has a strong uh, kind of creative game in the in the mid range as well. So that's been good. I think against UConn, coming off you know, a, a career high twenty eight points against Villanova, had a really strong performance against Creighton individually. And then UConn definitely knows that because he's burned them in the past uh, in his ability and, and how well he's been playing of late. They they really did try and take him out uh, of the offensive equation early. It'll be interesting to see what Providence does defensively against Simas, knowing how well he's playing and know how knowing how tough of a player he is to defend. But I think again, 
you know, can, if, if you can get Manny Bates out there on the floor tonight or whenever he's able to make his return, you know, it's another offensive element, another dimension that Butler can go to. Uh, and so it's, you know, becomes harder to just key in on one player to, uh, to try and take out for, for the Bulldogs attack. So it's been, it's, you know, CMOS is a, a fun player to watch. He, he, uh, he has so many different things he can do out on the floor. But, uh, you know, I think he, Chuck Harris, uh, are, are two big players to try and generate uh, offense early. And, and Eric Hunter as well. You know, what, what, what can Eric Hunter bring forward? He can be a differentiator. If he can knock down shots uh, in, in Bulldog wins this season, he's, he's certainly played, played well. So, Good stuff. We appreciate it. Thanks for the insight, and um, good luck on the call tonight. Thank you. Hey, hey uh, what, what are you guys going to do in the snow? We got we got snowball fights happening out on the circle. What are we, what it are was pretty. Going? Hey, Mark, it was pretty underwhelming. I think we got two inches. Even though I tell you what, oh. I tell you what, but hey, you, you're you're Mr. Board of Directors. Butler canceled class today, so everybody everybody at the Delt House says thank you, Mark. I love it. I was a big fan of the old school snow days where you didn't actually have to do e learning too. Right, so, <laughs> true, know, very like true. You could just go, yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks, Mark. Mark Minner, the play-by-play voice of the Butler Bulldogs. And we'll come back and uh, put a lid on this day today. It's been a good one. Uh, 93.5, 107.5, the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Coming up to uh, one of the more important uh, parts of the program. <laughs> we're going to get Jimmy's bets for the night. And I'm glad, you know, last uh, yesterday we were talking about it and uh, we were discussing the Ball State Buffalo game and Ball State, I think, oh, was yeah. like a five point favorite. And I was like, oh, I'll take that because five and uh, a half. Yeah, they're going to easily win that one by five and a half. Uh, I hope none of you out there took that advice. They weren't within five. I think once it got to six to nothing, Ball State was never within five the rest of the way. I think the uh, the closest they got in the second half was nine. I mean, it was a route. Cardinals got beat by 26, I think. So, uh, ugly. Uh, so, take no advice from me on the gambling side. All the advice from Jimmy. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. In your defense, we put you on the spot, and also I went one and two yesterday. So that was a great like lead-in, by the way. A, that was a great lead-in. It was. Yeah. It was It was top shelf. Uh, today, just two bets. Going to lay the 10 on the Hoosiers at the barn. Ten Minnesota. Woo. Wow, lay the ten points. on yeah. Indiana. Imagine being a ten-point dog at home. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of injuries for Minnesota yep. racking up over the last couple of days. I think uh, you're good there. In the NBA, going to take Sacramento to win the money line against the Raptors. That's in Sacramento. One and two yesterday. Three and three on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jay Cook BK. Anything hockey front? How was you last night? Abstaining, and here's why. We we took the over six in Washington and Colorado. It was about to hit. Fellas, on a potential empty netter, oh. on an empty netter oh. by the Colorado the Avalanche, beat. they hit the post. <laughs> oh. They hit. It was five. It ended up being five. Colorado goes to the empty net. They hit the freaking post. Oh. So I'm abstaining from bets. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity, though, Jimmy. It's tough. The bad beats are the worst, uh, but they're entertaining unless it happens to you. 
Oh, know? I'm sure. Yeah. I, I would be laughing. Always entertaining. I, I, yeah. Like, no. How does that happen? I, I love watching the SVP bad beats to laugh at people yeah. a, until you like see. Oh, I bet on that. Terrible. <laughs> I mean, they've done a whole spinoff segment with that segment alone. So mm. yeah, it's always always good to see them. Always terrible to be on the wrong end of them. Hey, a couple of things I just want to mention before we get out of here. I want to say congratulations to Xavier Booker, the outstanding uh, basketball player at Cathedral. Uh, was named to the McDonald's All-American team, the only player from the state of Indiana to get that honor. So congratulations to him. By the way, LeBron James' kid, uh, Bronny, was also named to the McDonald's All-American team. He's one of only two. There's 24, east and west. It's 24 players total. One of only two of them to still be undecided. Hmm. And did you see LeBron's comments where he said, uh, Bronny can go anywhere he wants to go. All I got to do is make a call. If you're, if you're LeBron's kid, do you want Dad saying that? No, but I have a hot take that LeBron, when Bronny goes to college, LeBron's going to be more annoying than Lavar Ball. <laughs> I mean, like, it's turning into that. Oh, in a way, it's isn't it? it's uh, so. For example, I wouldn't be surprised if Bronny goes to Ohio State because LeBron has said all along, "Oh, if I went to college, I go to Ohio State." So Chris Holtman's going to have to deal with that crap. Yeah. And like LeBron's going to be coaching from the baseline. At, that's going to be more annoying than LeVar. Mm, coaches don't like uh, co- no. The parents are the worst. I'll take the under there. LeVar, LeVar sets a very high bar. I'm but LeVar has I'm shut not, up. When's the has. last time you heard from LeVar? He, Somebody told him to shut he, up, he, unless he got paid for it. I don't know. But He, he has, yeah. and I would assume that has a lot to do with his son's probably you <laughs> saying, Dad, it's time. Let's, let's yeah. stop. Or LaMelo just finally paid him. It's like, Could hey, be. shut your mouth. I'm a big boy now, Dad. You, yeah. can, you can stop that. Uh, we also mentioned uh, Scott Rowland going into the Hall of Fame. Uh, real quickly, is there a Hall of Fame that feels more prestigious than the others? Mm, that's a great question. Unfortunately, Vince, we got five seconds. Oh. Do you, wait, hey, quick, four seconds. What is it? I would say the NFL Hall of yep. Fame. He's got it. John's next.